welcome to episode 44 of Q&A Quest. Uh, steadily approaching 50 somehow. Uh, yeah. Yes, no, I, I refuse to allow myself to forget the name I suggested for this episode, which was uh, SteamWorld DigDogger. Oh, yes. Good times. Good times. It's just the dumbest name I could think of. I'm your host, Wheels, a.k.a. Mike Apps. Wait, I usually do that the other way. Right. Whatever. Well, that just means you're throwing variety in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and with me as always... Fanboy Master, David McBurney, I don't have a set order, do I? Oh. And our, I think, most prolific guest? How? I don't know. Okay. I think you're about, like, four or five episodes in, which puts you at, like, one in eleven episodes, which is... Yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> Hello. Which is pretty impressive, given the time difference. They ought say. to know you by they ought to know you by name. They <laughs> ought to know you by your voice. Really? Okay. Well, yes. Calling in from Japan here, the other Michael. Yes. <laughs> I. Oh man. <clears throat> one of these days, we need to get all the mics onto one podcast at one time. The Michael yeah. cast. Yes. Anyway, how many time zones would that involve? Uh, one, two, three. I think we are all in different time zones. I know. I think Jim's. Um, if we count in Mike Tidwell, then he's in Seattle, right? Oh uh, yeah, yeah. So that's West Pacific. Coast. So you're got Pacific and Eastern, and Mac is in Tennessee. Or yeah. Where is he? Uh, Tennessee and is that in the that Eastern like time zone? Central. I, th- I, I think, think that's. I think depends on which half of Tennessee he's in. Uh, uh, he could be in Eastern. He could be in Central. And then the audience course, is gonna love this. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, I'm way, way over in like plus eight or plus nine Greenwich. So, uh, and you're sitting at minus four wheels. Yes. Hey. <laughs> right, so. Uh. At least two of us are recovering from a deep and awful addiction to Breath of the Wild, so... Yeah, uh, uh, my doctor says that eventually I will be a functional member of society, but not for a while. Uh, my doctor couldn't make the appointment because he was busy playing Breath of the Wild. need to get a do- Like, I understand the desire to employ someone who is recovering from addiction, but he may need to check himself back in as a patient. Mm. I was going to say, recovering and becoming a fully functional member of society, I think this is making a rather strong assumption of your previous state. <laughs> I didn't say that I had previously been a functional member of society, only that I was hopeful to become one eventually. I know, but this is like the gamer equivalent of the, doctor, doctor, will I still be able to play the piano? Oh, I'm sure you can. Funny, I couldn't do it before. <laughs> doctor say yes, doctor say yes. Oh, no. <laughs> yes, I was remembering the Simpsons version too. Yes. I need to follow that up with a breakdancing ape man. <laughs> oh. No, we actually. Uh, so, since we are. What a start. We are knee deep in By Zelda. The way, I don't think Dig Dogger exists in the Legend of Zelda: Breath of the Wild, so my entire pun falls apart in ruins. Instantly. It's fine. It's fine. It, which one was which original? I know it's one of the original Zelda bosses, but which one was Dig Dogger? I want to say it's the one with like the eyeball. Probably. Oh yeah, that thing. 
Yeah, I, I was getting it mixed up with Manhandler for some reason, but... Mm. Yeah, that would be pretty cool for Breath of the Wild. Yeah, I'd be fine with that showing up. In... I don't know. They did bring back... dream of it being in the DLC, maybe. They did bring back the crazy centaur things. Ah, oh, line elves! Those things are like the hardest things in the game. I fought explicitly yeah. bosses, and the mini-bosses were way easier than fighting a line elf. But an NPC who I wandered into was like, hey, you ever seen one of those centaur guys? If you sneak up on them, I bet you can ride them. <laughs> now, now, the only thing that would make that even more epic is if they actually included the possibility that you could do that somehow. Apparently you can. I had a friend who managed Seriously? to successfully get on one. <laughs> I don't think you can tame them, but you can ride around on their backs. Well, more more accurately, cling on, clinging on and screaming for dear life as they try to... Yeah, apparently you can attack them that way, though. If you're on their back, you can stab them. <laughs> a friend also, another friend, like, got, like, a... Like, I can't... He claimed he had found, like, a Stalfos horse, like a... a skeleton horse tried to take it to a, a stable and the stable guy was like no i'm not letting that in <laughs> so th this is the mark of a good video game when something real when a gamer thinks of something really random to try and it actually works yeah yeah, yeah. And, and that's that's stuff, everything in breath of the wild <laughs> yeah uh it's so good yeah it's a pretty good video game we're gonna we do have a sort of question about it, so we'll go into it a bit later. But first, we have some questions about arcade games. As people yep. took offense to my bashing of the Ninja Turtles arcade game. Yeah, that's is, very related to RPGs. Which is trash, by the way. It's total trash. We're not doing this again. <laughs> no, no, it was, it was fun, but I can, I can see why it would be annoying at times, because, I mean, it's one... I mean, it's from the generation of games where it's expected to kill you fast, so you put more quarters in. Yeah. Yeah, and depending on which version and generation of the source material you grew up loving, you may love it or hate it as well. That's true. Um, I'm imagining, like, finding, like, the five people that were fans of the Mirage comics before they got licensed <laughs> by anything that were, like, hideously incensed by the existence of child-friendly Ninja Turtles. Yeah. I mean, there's people who will be hideously incensed by anything. It's true. Yeah, but it would be a very unique subset to be a part of, like... Because, true. like, those those were indie comics that existed explicitly as parodies of Frank Miller's run on frickin' Daredevil back when that was his most notable comic book run. Oh, that's right, because the Foot Clan are a parody of the, the Hand. Clan. And, like, oh, the, the right. accident that creates the Turtles is just the exact same thing that made Daredevil blind. Oh my god! I didn't know this. <laughs> the original, the original comic version, like they're drawn essentially in the background of it, a essentially remake of that panel. That's crazy. Well, uh, don't worry about that. Why hasn't there been a Ninja Turtles RPG? That actually makes sense. That's a good um, question, and I, I want one. Damn it! Because the demographics of the of the era leans more towards action. Yeah, I suppose, I'm just thinking about, like, it feels like the one period where there was a gap in between Ninja Turtles series is, like, the one period where, like, an RPG would have been something like, oh, yeah, the kids love them. 
Well, that's the thing. If I mean, half of it's because it was an American series. If it, if it had started as a Japanese anime, there would be at least five really awful RPG <laughs> There is, like, an anime, like, a one-shot OVA that I would love to see one day. So, yeah. It, but, yeah, I mean... I... Up until, like, the DS period, you could probably find an RPG for any science fiction or fantasy anime that you can name. Or at least something yeah. that stretched into RPG, um, the gestalt. It may or may not have involved, like, a card game abstraction? Um, at least a few versions. I know I know the Full Metal Alchemist RPG I played on um, Game Boy Advance technically had a card deck style thing, but it worked really weird. I remember, like, looking up, like, a bunch of, like, old Fist of the North Star and, uh, Dragon Ball RPGs, and it's like, all of these are, like, all these NES games are RPGs, and all of those RPGs are card-based for some reason. <laughs> um, it was the easiest thing to organize, and, or they were all actually made by, stealth-made by the same company that was Yeah, I'm pretty sure they're all Tose. Yeah, um, the majority, at least. Of course, I mean, that company also does some interesting other things. I mean, I think they did the original Dragon um, Slime Quest games. Yeah, they did. Like, the thing about Tose is, like, trying to list everything they did is nearly impossible because it's such a broad list, and, like, they it's refuse the to be credited on basically credit either. So. Yeah, like, the only company I've ever heard of convincing them to take credit on anything is Nintendo convinced them to be credited as co-developers of the Legendary Starfy series. Talking about the antithesis of the American studio design philosophy. Oh, man. Quality, um, quality first, and we don't get recognition. Yeah. We don't Tose, even demand it. I, I'm very curious, like, what the bizarre... Uh, like, what that corporate structure even looks like. It's so anonymous in every fashion that, like, the most you'll get is an acknowledgement that, yes, we exist, and yes, we have developed games. No, we won't say which ones. And next up, our representative here wearing a V for Vendetta mask. Like, it's, it's kind of shocking that, like, it was Yoko Taro that became the first person anyone had heard of who war refused to be shown, interviewed in anything but a mask. <laughs> okay, but what, what was the question again? <laughs> uh, we didn't even get to the question. I was okay, just bashing the Ninja Turtles game. This was correct. This was the wise choice. Oh, <laughs> There isn't even a question here. Uh, a yeah, I'm not sure why you interpreted it as a question. It was mostly just a comment. I don't know. I assumed it was. Lord Golbez. I, I, I figured there'd be a question eventually, but... Okay. Lord Golbez is just saying uh, that the Turtle games were above average for the era, which I maintain that most of them were not. He was just... Because it was Turtles, and Turtles were awesome. Man, I do, no. I do want to say one last thing, that I'm very curious what part of Konami was involved in licensing all these American properties to make beat-em-ups out of. I'm also kind of wondering what the bar what bar was set for average. That's a good yeah. question. Because, I mean, it's like, possible to be above average if everything else is crap. Like, they were still a giant and cut above everything from Double Dragon 3 to, like, I don't know, anything made by Jalico. Yeah. Yeah. 
trying to think of other brawlers of the era. We have Listen, things. The best, the Streets best of Rage. Well, Streets of Rage is way... Like, the thing about it is also the TMNT beat-em-ups that aren't like Turtles in Time, which you admitted to liking more, are way later. True. Like... Streets of Rage is very much in the post-Final Fight mold, and Final Fight doesn't seem like a huge advancement now, but it was, kind of. Or, for that matter, um, what was... Oh, what was the je- the English title of the Kunio-kun series? Uh, it changed from game to game, but the big one was River, was River City Ransom. There we go, River City Ransom. But, like, we, we got those under any name anyone cared about. Crash in the Boys Street Challenge. I forget what that one's called in Japan. The first one was Renegade. And they tried to yeah, sort of make it look like the Warriors for some reason. If they're, if they're all technically from the same series, then they will all be titled Neketsu Monogatari in Japanese. Every single one. Except for the Dragon Quest skinned variation that I have on my 3DS. Oh, that, that sounds awesome, on a actually. strong, continued note, and which has never been continued. Mm. Okay. That was kind of funny, but, I mean, it wasn't the best done item on the planet. It was a neat idea. <laughs> yep. Yeah, and I've got lots of neat ideas on my shelf over here. <laughs> I usually reserve the two... Um, I usually reserve 2.5 out of 5 on the reviews for the neat ideas that I wish had been done better. Yeah. So, okay, well, are we actually going to get to a question, or should I introduce him? No, no, we'll go, we'll jump ahead here. So, Victor does have a question, he's just, just talking a bit about Gauntlet and Gauntlet Dark Legacy, which were pretty good games. Uh, do, do, do. Barely remember the paid game there. I never played it much. Call it Dark Legacy? Oh, no, the original. Oh, yeah, the original. Yeah. Elf needs food I badly. That, I remember that they used to have a couple machines at the old Safeway years and years ago near my house, and um, that was one of them. Of course, <laughs> when I say years and years ago, I'm talking like 30. Oh, dear. Because <laughs> that Safeway has not actually existed as a Safeway in 25 years. <laughs> oh, man. I think. I mean, it's it's been the last fifty years or so is the Hong Kong market. <laughs> it's just been a little while. It'll be back. Yeah. Oh no, it moved like five miles away. So, and uh, then got, and then the company got bought out. So I think it's Homeland now. Uh, I mean, what do I know? I haven't actually lived in America for long term in here. What what year is it? Thirteen years. So, oh wow. Yeah been a little while. Just a while. I mean, heck, last night I ran into one of my, a former student in the parking lot of a, of a shopping area and is like, oh, hey, how's it going? How old are you now? And turns out she, <laughs> turns out she just graduated last week from high school and she's going to be a, attending a medical school starting next month. I'm like, oh, that's super cool, old. though. You're making old. Old. I remember when you were in third grade. Uh, so. uh, I remember when you couldn't write your name properly because you kept flipping the U over and spelling it Natsunki. Uh, okay. That's your, no, no, that's a good name. Your name. Uh, so. Alright, now uh, on to his actual question. Now, he also mentions that the 
PS4 gauntlet is kind of bad. Um, what do you think of modern pay us extra money for more playable characters paradigm in games that are not free to play, and is there any way to stop it from sp spreading? Uh, I still feel inner rage over Tekken X Street Fighter, a full-priced fighting game at release, which charged an extra $20 for 12 additional playable characters. And I should note that those additional player playable characters were actually on your disc. I've got three terrible nerd things to say right now. The first of which is that that game was Street Fighter Cross Tekken, and Harada, the director of the Tekken series, still insists that Tekken Cross Street Fighter will come out one day. Oh, I'm <laughs> sure. Okay. It's really amazing. I love going to the Wikipedia page on it every so often, because it has a bit where it's like, here are the confirmed playable characters. Ryu. Evil Ryu. Gene. Devil Gene. That's it. That's all of them. Uh, <laughs> Lord. But the other thing is, no, we can't get rid of them, and I'm actually mostly fine with them. <laughs> I don't think it's I mean, as... as... It's one thing if it's, like, actual crucial content, but, like, he's talking about $20 for a set of extra characters. What are these characters? Are they actually that original? Are they reskinned versions of other characters? Are they functionally the same, but with a different animation? This was full-on different characters. Yeah, my, my thought process is mostly, I remember when I would pay for a new fighting game because I couldn't just buy new characters. So, like, that's kind of, like, my attitude towards it. I mean, yeah. I don't actually play a lot of games that have this problem. Um, I mean, most of the PlayStation 3 games I had that had optional content like that, it was mostly, like, Cost. I mean, this is Japan. It's all costumes and stuff. Um, the one game I can think of that actually had a fairly large downloadable shop available was Metal Max Four, and a lot of the stuff on that you could actually get. Uh, just, always, like, always, that topic comes up. Bosses. Hey, I, sorry, can this, sorry. I can link this to the uh, world map question from last time as well. That's, oh. that's true. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the pain still burns. <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean, when I reviewed Metal Max 4, I actually included a an entire paragraph on the small mountain of DLC, which I think I said could almost meet the original game's price point if you downloaded it all, but I can't end Counted it up later, and it was like double the original game's price. Oh, jeez. However, not a single bit of it was necessary. I mean, yeah, like, the, my grading curve is mostly on, like, does the experience feel complete without the DLC? That's, I think that was the point I was trying to make, yes. Okay, yeah. yeah. I, I, Sorry, really, I didn't mean to cut you off. I really no worries, think, I'm rambling. I really think that's the sweet spot for DLC, because it doesn't frustrate people. Uh, it's there if you want it. And, and you know, it's a nice to have when they do do stuff like that. You know, that one case he's mentioning is kind of like this one-off uh, terrible thing that I it don't would, think has really happened since. It was also in part to try to, like, there's, there's a lot of things that go into, like, on-disc DLC because, like, the game, like, the, the DLC budget is separate from the game budget in a lot of situations. DLC is sometimes sort of like made during testing to make sure that the team has something to do before they're assigned to another project. Like there's there's a lot of just 
corporate stuff that goes into DLC, and it's like... I, I don't like reducing it to as simple as just like, oh, they had it all, and it was just there, and they could have just thrown it in, and it's like, I suppose they could have, but like they also probably wouldn't have made it if they couldn't actually spend... Like It wouldn't have been in the budget to make any of it if they weren't going to charge you for it. Yeah. Yeah. And after reading, like, 1,500 news stories over the course of the past decade or so about, like, well, the project got done and the entire dev team got fired, uh, I kind of appreciate the idea of something that gives a team, like, a reason that they can't be immediately made redundant upon the completion of a project. That's a fair yeah, that point. another wonderful example of why I don't quite like American corporate culture. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. yeah. Not so great. Usually, when that happens in Japan, it's because the company became insolvent. Yes. Except which which comp which game company was it that just kind of disappeared a couple years ago? Uh, uh, <laughs> a lot of companies have done that, actually. Uh, you know, was it Image Epoch? Was crazy. It was like the game was it, no, it wasn't Aqua Plus. No, because they're still yeah. making stuff. Yeah, I but, think you might be talking about Image Epoch. Yeah. Thank you, it was Image Epoch. Yeah. How did I get that? I even referenced it in the Seventh Dragon review. Okay, yeah, Image Epoch. Just yeah, that's weird. That's very weird. Yeah, that one is strange enough to actually have warranted a minor news mention over here. It's like, weird. It was one of those situations where, like, they didn't say that there was no press release or anything that indicated they got they'd gone out of business. It's just their doors are locked now, and some suddenly, like, there's a for rent sign, and no, <laughs> and nobody can find the president of the company. <laughs> Might be in a ditch somewhere. We don't know. Weird, very weird. Whereas yes. one of these days, I am going to have to visit Alpha System. Oh man! Near near South Kumamoto Station, because I know exactly where their offices are. I just never actually had an excuse to go interview them or anything. Aren't they the Tales of Innocence guys? Um, well, they did they did several of the Tales of the World games, mm -hmm. which, for the record, Narakiri Dungeon Two and Three are much better than Radiant Mythology. Mm. But they also did like incredibly insane stuff, like Linda Cube. Oh yeah, you mentioned Linda Cube. I really want someone to have translated Linda Cube, and it's never going to happen. Oh no, it's never going to happen. I mean, again, this is a game that actually—I think it actually got mentioned in like expert testimony regarding the need for labels concerning violence, <laughs> other things putting, being put on video games. That's really wow. That's just that crazy. Um, yeah. So but, I would so love to play that. And again, to quote from the quote from the review, final paragraph is like, "This this game is an excellent example or excellent example of what this company can do if given free reign over its own creativity. It's also an excellent example of why they have not been allowed to do this in a decade." <laughs> yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yes. We live in that tragic world where truly insane auteurs only occasionally are allowed to make video games. And I've played most of the really insane ones. I mean, Linda Cube, or Moon, or... Oh, man. Nightmare Project Yakata. That one was crazy. Oh, <clears throat> man. Yeah. Oh, man. I remember you mentioning Nightmare Project Yakata. Yeah. 
That's the one that had an entire dungeon dedicated to the works of Salvador Dali. Huh. I love everything in, about that dungeon. Yeah, as in you can... Um, I mean, the dungeons themselves are very fairly generic, but they have little points where you have to move stuff or put items. And so at one point you do have to take a semi-ruptured goat's eye away from an Andalusian dog to feed to a giant ant so you can take the ant and put it on a melting clock. And if you understand any of that sentence, then you probably sat through the same art class I did in college. <laughs> Listen, you gotta love yourself some melting clocks. Yeah. I am amazed I understood as much of that game as I did. <laughs> I really... The list of references it makes is insane. <laughs> I, love a, I love a game that's truly a work of passion, even if it's a flawed work of passion. Yes. Excuse me. <clears throat> Mm. Yeah, and the fact that it used five different murder novels in the same from the same series as backstory. <laughs> this is for a very specific audience, and I'm concerned that that audience was mostly the people making the game. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, if you can't make yourself a good game, really awesome. <laughs> uh... yeah. Okay, so. Do we have any actual questions? <laughs> we do. Like we have at least one. We do. Eventually. Eventually. Well, we have. We do have some big ones that aren't even necessarily in this thread. Uh, from some other staff members. But let's see. We got some questions from Budai. To further add to the subject of maps, Breath of the Wild's open world is the best I've ever played. It's even better than The Witcher 3. Part of what makes it good is the amount of stuff going on. Yet I don't feel like I need to look at every event like a checklist a la Skyrim. They've somehow managed to make an interesting map full of stuff that as the player, as that I as the player can feel comfortable moving through in an organic way. What are your impressions of Zelda so far? Well, we talked a little bit about that at the top of the show. But I, I, I am interested in immediately jumping into like the implications of that statement. They created a game where you're not concerned about missing things. Mm. And I think that's partially because they don't tell you what you're missing. That's true. Like the game doesn't give you an explicit number of like you, when you find a Korok seed, it doesn't give you like a this is how many Korok seeds there are. Like people apparently have found out there's 900 of the things and the only thing the game gives you if you successfully get all of them is a golden turd. <laughs> and like, that, that's because turd. by design, the game doesn't... Huh? A golden turd? Yeah, like, it is literally a golden piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> does it have a happy smiley face on it like they often draw in Japan? It does not. However, if you look at it, it talks about how, like, it... Like, the only description that it got gives is that, like, Hestu gave it to you as a symbol of friendship, and it, and it smells awful. <laughs> But, like, the thing about it is that kind of represents, in some sense, their, like, attitude toward collecting everything. The game doesn't tell you how much there is, because stumbling upon things is fun, and feeling like you need to stumble upon everything is tedious. Mm -hmm. So it just, and like, it makes it clear these things are desirable, but it doesn't force you into thinking that you need all of them. And that is a very nice design philosophy to follow. Yep. Yeah. Like, you, you play something like... And, and that's the thing also that, like, all of the, the handful of collectibles that the game actually has are 
crafting materials, which are mostly interchangeable. Uh, you have Korok seeds, which have like a one to like. I know what a Korok seed does basically a couple hours into the game, and they have a very one to one relationship with the things that. Uh, with, like, what they do. It's like, oh, I get one of these, it expands my, like, I get enough of these, it expands my inventory. There's there's no intermediary here. They can't really be used for anything else. That's just what they do. And uh, the uh, spirit orbs are like, okay, there's, uh, I find one of these, and it makes, it translates essentially to either a piece of heart or a piece of stamina vessel when I ch choose to use them. And that's, like, it, it's very much... It's, it's good to make it so that the game really only has collectibles that have immediate weight and purpose. Not any, Nothing is only useful once you have all of it. Hmm. Which is another thing that a lot of open world games will do to populate themselves is like, oh, here's like a bunch of doodads that don't do anything until you have all of them. And it's like, okay, uh... Like, that, that becomes a checklist, because, like, there's no point in getting any of them if you aren't going to get every one of them. And it's, like, Zelda immediately neatly avoids that pitfall by just being like, okay. But, like, I don't think... You will max out your inventory long before you have found all 900 Korok seeds. They're not that useful. <laughs> like, it's just one of those things where it's like, oh, well... Uh... That's... I guess if you really want to, you can. We will acknowledge that you found all of them, but we really didn't care if you did. <laughs> yeah, I'd say there's a lot of like little touches in Zelda like that that you don't really necessarily think about their overall implication. But when you look at the game as a whole, it just everything makes perfect sense. Yeah. Like, the game is designed to, like, encourage you to look for things, because there's always something to find, but its design also encourages you to never feel like there is, like, a magical 100% that you haven't reached yet. Right. And that's and very, like, even just by withholding information, they can do that. And heaven knows that this particular genre has enough fans who will be thinking in terms like that. And oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, like, like the reason people know... Because they can't get every sing they don't know how to get every single little thing, and it's not in the FAQs yet. I cannot even imagine being the person that has to try to like either video document or write all nine hundred Korok seed locations <laughs> under a rock on a mountain somewhere around this map area. Because yeah, the map is uh, it's pretty big. You it's know, gigantic. It's... it's dotted very liberally with the. Uh, with warp points, oftentimes there will actually be clusters of warp points in one area. So if you missed one of the warp points, it doesn't necessarily matter that much because, oh, there's like four here. <laughs> Again, uh. another concession the game makes to the idea that, like, everyone should collect something, but no one should feel compelled to collect everything. Yes. And again, we've got fans who are compelled, who do feel compelled to collect everything because otherwise. Yeah gotten their full money's worth out of the game. Yes. There's well, still video game I haven't picked off the bone. I'm not done yet. Well, talking about but Zelda... It's more about the fans than about anything else. It yes. does. Talking about Zelda reminds me of a question that I just had to ask you, Mr. Baker. Yeah. Since you are close to this tragedy. 
What is Japan's obsession with Tingle? <laughs> is it Japan's uh, or is it Eiji Aonuma's? I don't... I think, it may, I think it may more have to do with the creator of the series or something like that. Eiji Aonuma has admitted that he loves Tingle. Yeah. We may just be dealing with a creator favorite character. Uh, uh, I mean, just from a design, Tingle follows a lot of the same morphology as... Um, well, do you know any of the old Tatsunoko anime? I do. Yeah. I do not. You know, you know in, uh, well, um, it's like Yataman or yeah. Time Bokan. Or a lot of the er late 70s, early 80s anime came from the studio. Yeah, they uh, were huge. In, <laughs> in almost every single series that they did, there was usually one minor villain character who had this huge nose and buck teeth and squinty eyes. Just, and, just the most viscerally upsetting looking human. Yes, um, and it's it's actually a variation of an old caricature of a func of a like pathologically untrustworthy person. Huh. Which is uh, it, okay. And uh, it also unfortunately bears a fairly close resemblance to certain American racist um, caricatures from the Second World War. Yeah, yeah. What you're describing sounds suspiciously like a, a deeply racist old Popeye cartoon, but uh... yes. But um, this. This image of this character type is so deeply ingrained in the roots of animation in Japan that it's kind of a joke. Uh, okay. And I don't know why Tingle in particular slightly resembles this, but he does. It's worth noting, Tingle in his first few appearances is explicitly incredibly untrustworthy. Like, then that's probably why. Uh, like in... In, in Majora's Mask, he's just mostly weird, but by Wind Waker, he's literally got a slave encampment. <laughs> now, you, see, you meet him I in have jail. Played, I haven't actually played any of the console Zeldas since Majora's Mask, so I wouldn't actually know that. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in, uh, in, in Wind Waker, which is probably his biggest role ever, you meet him in jail, and then... When you set him free, because he apparently stole something, you find what he stole, it's a camera, it's the only existing camera, and when you find him later on an island shaped like his own head, you find, like, this <laughs> this set of, like, other people who are all dressed like Tinkle, who, like, if you talk to them, they're all like, I really don't want to be dressed like this, he's my brother, I don't know what's wrong with him, except for one guy who's also dressed like Tingle, who says, I don't even know who this guy is. He just dressed me up like this when I washed up here. I think I have actually seen these guys in one of the handheld games, but... Okay. I think they I appear think in Tingle's Rosie Rupee Land, actually. I'm thinking Minish Cap, because I never played Rosie Rupee Land. Um, it may have been in Minish Cap, yeah. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, related to the same character type, um, Wheels, did you ever play Metal Saga? Uh, not yet, though I have a copy somewhere. Yeah, there is a character in Metal Saga that has the ex this same appearance, um, face. Like, a um, really thin, ratty mustache, big nose, buck teeth. And in the Japanese version, he's just called Jim Buck, or Buck Forest. He's got two different names. He's a con man, he's a swindler. <laughs> but he's also dressed as one of the nomadic traders from the Metal Max series. And they all wear they all wear like Lawrence of Arabia style desert clothing because it's like a Mad Max setting where half the world is a desert. 
And apparently when Atlas translated Metal Saga back around 2005 or so, 2006, yeah, that would have been right. Uh, they took a look. They took one look at the outfit that he's wearing, and the shape of his face, and they decided he must be like some crazy racist Arab stereotype, and they named him like some joke on Bin Laden, I think. Ooh. It's like I saw his name in English, and I'm like, who the hell thought of that? <laughs> yeah, that was maybe in. That's that's kind of a wrong choice. Don't don't do that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, okay, guys, you you made a lot of really impressive and hilarious name changes for the English version of that game. This was not one of them. This was an ill-considered choice that you made. <laughs> yes, I mean, I mean, just I I can almost forgive it for the for the dialogue in the Muscle Palace level, but because. Uh, Okay, so one of the re- one of the repeating enemy types or boss types in the series is a crazed m- uh, bodybuilder who's been using pre-destruction technology to boost his muscles to even crazier levels. <laughs> so it, um, each game has its own version of this character. So, like in the very first game, he was just this weirdo that hung out in a hospital and shot himself with steroids. <laughs> and in the second game, it was this lady bodybuilder who was cloning her own army of ninja estheticians to... Yes. I'm serious here. To con- to uh, conquer the world. And in Metal Saga, he is... Um, the, this version of the character is a religious cult leader dressed up as Zeus. He's got, like, a crown of laurels and he's wearing a toga. And the, in the translated version, his name is Father Muscle... And he gives sermons on from the Book of St. Arnold about the plus Turboflex. Yes! Sold. And, and I'm like, I, I, read, I read some of the commentary on this while I was playing the game in Japanese, and I'm like, okay, this is one case where I can say bravo English localization, because that is just genius. And it is so much better than what was actually in the game. <laughs> <sighs> yes. Uh, you want some, lose some with that translation. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we're off topic again. Okay. Uh, well, that completely. Happen. It was uh, part of the tingle topic. Yeah. Oh, no, taking it over to Father Muscle was completely off topic. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be tingle when he finally reappears. I think Aonuma has basically given up. Like, there was a period where Aonuma admitted in uh, interviews that like he really liked tingle and he wanted to make other people like him, and I think at some point around, like, Twilight Princess he finally gave up. Because, <laughs> like, since then, Tingle has only been referenced by name, and we've never seen him again. Well, he... I don't know, he... I, I don't Except know if he's... Except for Majora's Mask 3D, but that would involve removing is him, he, so it made sense to Is him. he not in Breath of the Wild? Is there just an you island can, named after him? Yeah, there's just an area named after him. There's okay. all, Like, all the areas are named after other characters, like... There's a Rauru like mountain that's way up in the north. It's like, oh man, you went. <laughs> that guy had like two lines in the entirety of Ocarina of Time, and he was already just named after a village from Zelda 2. Deep cut there. <laughs> but like, yeah, the game, like, it's almost every place it's like named after a sage or a character. And I'm really upset that I have not yet found a Groose area. 
insert the Groose theme when you edit this. Well, this episode will be full of the Groose theme. Uh, so, our next actual, actual question, which continues in the Nintendo theme, is also from Budai. Nintendo, not in my opinion, are masters of game design philosophy. Despite time passing and people moving on, how's, how has Nintendo managed to keep game design as forte? They have developed a certain culture and have maintained it. Are there any particular design philosophies they have done over the years you find really interesting? Nintendo, unlike a lot of companies, is un- is generally unwilling, and I think a lot of this has to do with like Miyamoto's personal boredom on some level, but they're unwilling to approve a sequel if they don't have any idea what to do with it. Like, you'll, you see this with certain franchises that sort of go moribund for really long periods of time and take a lot of, like, cajoling by, like, fandom to get them made. Like, F-Zero, we haven't seen a new one since GX, and, like, anytime anyone corners a Nintendo executive asking why, it's like, what are we supposed to do? You can't really add more opponents. Like, there's already 30 in GX. It's already considered kind of too hard. Like, it moves blazing fast. It still looks good. What would we make that improved on GX in any real fashion? And that's kind of a philosophy that, like, shows up a lot, is that, like, a lot of their franchises are perennial, but there's always, like, something that, like, this has to do something that the other ones didn't. And I think that that's an impressive philosophy to keep in a situation where, like, you have the the dueling uh, adulation and disgust from gamers when, when an IP dies because there's nothing to do with it, like... People get angry when a game gets sequels and there's not, there's obviously no idea what to do with the sequels, but they also get angry when a game just stops existing. And it's like, well, you know, sometimes there just really isn't anything to do with it anymore. Yeah. And sometimes they're smart about just kind of uh, putting a franchise away for a little while. Like, uh, you know, everyone's clamoring for a Metroid, but uh, that series needed a bit of a break after a really terrible entry. Like it was one of those. It's one of those situ- Like Metroid is one of those situations where, like, the fact we keep getting them is proof that they're trying to find something that will appease, like, the two extant like markets that they want to sell it in. You've got the Western market that wants another Super Metroid, and you've got the Japanese market that never cared about Metroid. <laughs> and so you get like this situation where like the issue is that hardcore nintendo fans see like metroid it's like the third pillar like mario zelda and metroid and like zelda doesn't sell anything like mario does and metroid doesn't sell anything like what zelda does no and that's that's kind of the issue is that like and that's the issue that a lot of these run into as well and like it is interesting to see them try desperately to find ways to keep these franchises relevant they will like or something like Star Fox. Where, like, they, they try desperately to keep this franchise relevant, but, like, the fact of the matter is that as much as I like Star Fox, I'm not going to find a lot of people that want to pay $60 for a rail shooter that lasts an hour and a half. And it's really hard to make a Star Fox game that's not at least, you know, like, it needs a lot of assets because a rail shooter... Like, rail shooters, like, graphical asset making to, like, you, to how long it's used ratio is terrible. So it's still really expensive to make a good rail shooter, but it still doesn't make a very long rail shooter. 
Video games are hard, and I appreciate their attempts to keep like those franchises that are hard to justify within the public eye, even as they continue to flounder in some space. And I'm, I'm still wondering how much of Nintendo's whole philosophy stems from the fact that how many decades was it around before it became a video game company? Uh, uh, many. Ten. <laughs> about ten. Like, it was, it was founded in, like, 1880, so... Yeah, I mean, it was a Meiji period company. That's yeah. Pretty impressive. Yeah, and they've been in every business. Yeah, um, I mean, they started as a toy company, toy and, like, playing card company. Yeah, their first product was a Hanafuda card pack. Yeah. So, we're talking about a company that, by necessity, has a very different set of philosophies pinning it down than like Microsoft, which started out as a singular software company. Trafodata. Or even like Sony, whose like, uh, corporate philosophy would have been influenced by the fact that it was more of a post-World War II company that got its start in consumer electronics. Yeah. By lucking out and being able to buy the rights to the transistor radio when the inventors of it didn't think it would go anywhere. And getting a pretty good, and getting well known for making a pretty good rice cooker. Okay, I will be back in just half a second. I have to step off for about five minutes. Sure. Yeah. <sighs> but yes, uh, we're talking about a company that has been, I mean, it's not focused as much on the now as it is focused on the how do we survive another century Yeah. concept. And to me, that means, it, I mean, like, how, how often do you see, like, a news report saying, oh, Nintendo is going to be doomed soon? Uh... Okay, prior to the Switch. <laughs> uh, very rarely, I would say. Uh, I know, I've, I've seen them on occasion, like once or twice a year. Often just rehashing similar stuff. Yeah. And it's like... And it, in most of these articles, the direct comparisons are to Sony and to Microsoft, and I'm like... <laughs> what? Yes, they're both... They're all three game console companies, but... You have to look where they're coming from. Things like, what? Did you know that Nintendo used to be a majority shareholder in the Seattle Mariners? I did. That one I did know. Last year. Yeah. That is. (laughs) Okay. Strange. (laughs) Surprising. It it doesn't really. I mean, they're obviously a pretty conservative company about like what they do it's, and everything, and that just seems like not them at all. Uh, apparently, back in the '60s, they um, they experimented in cab services and love hotels as well, <laughs> um, according to Wikipedia. But I mean, all this is telling me is that we've got a almost 130 year old company that has a hell of a lot more diversification in its portfolio than either Sony or Microsoft could ever dream of. And just much less singular identification with a particular industry. Yeah. Even if, it dom- even if it's historically dominated one. And yeah. So, I mean, you can, I mean if we talk about the other companies, Microsoft starting as a software company first, and look at all the stuff that happened with the start of the Xbox One. 
Oh yeah. With the cloud sharing and the um, digital rights management and other things, and that's all stuff that you would expect a programmer to really think about first. So. And then you got Sony, which started out as hardware only, and so you have a very fo heavy focus on technical specs and other things like that. And then you've got Nintendo, which apparently is going out of its way to try and make like a family center or something that um, I mean like uh, yet again like all of the basic things that you can do with the Nintendo, Nintendo Switch are multiple player party games. Aside from Breath of the Wild. Sure, sure. But, I mean, like, the you're right, like, the whole design of the console is definitely geared towards that sort of mentality, because you've got the, the Joy-Cons that can act as single controllers. Um, obviously, they're porting over, uh, you know, Mario Kart, one of their biggest multiplayer franchises, right off the bat. And... Uh, supposedly Smash Brothers as well, although I haven't seen or heard of that in a while, but um, I'm sure we're going to see a lot of those sort of sorts of party games on the console. I mean, it's not even just this generation, because if you look at the Wii originally, yep. I mean, the first right off the bat, everybody was like, was saying, oh, it's going to be a disaster because it, look at the technical specs compared to either of the other two consoles or look at the programming architecture and it it got like the most insane market penetration possible it, in this country. It was it was uh, incredible. I mean it got to the point where they had to start marketing it as a handy internet portal access tool for <laughs> computers. I mean they actually they ran a series of commercials for like six months showing how easy it was for grandma and grandpa to get on the internet using the Wii. Because by that point, they had, they were seeing sales go down because they had sold too many of the things and nobody was buying them now. <laughs> I mean, that's insane. Yeah, I think uh, Nintendo obviously takes a lot of flack, and I think a lot of times people fail to realize sort of these basic little things that they get right and that they often don't get credit for. Like, I mean, you know, you look look at something like the Switch and um, obviously it doesn't have a lot of storage space or anything like that, but um, You know, they specifically went with a cartridge so that uh, you don't have to do installs or anything like that. So, uh, I was just reading an article the other day talking about how, like every gaming console generation, you kind of have a defining element. Yeah. Um, like for, like for the old Nintendo and Super Nintendo generations, the defining element was just graphics, trying to get graphics up to par with what could be found in the arcades. Yeah. Um, but for um, the article is making the point that for this generation, the defining focus is trying to make the console a central section of your living room. Mm -hmm. 
So you have things like Xbox One having an input jack, so you could actually run your cable through it, or run your so you could actually watch movies and everything without having to turn the thing off. And how PlayStation Four and Xbox One both have a have the sleep feature. Yeah. So that they're fast, they can be turned on faster. After um, after you play them, you have to go do something. You come back and play them again. You can turn them on faster. And so they have that possibility there, but the Switch comes with the sleep feature as the default. Yes. And it, it turns on, apparently it turns on incredibly quickly. Oh, like it's absurdly fast. An, yeah, com- comparable to an iPhone, even. Yeah. And so the article is making the point that, <clears throat> I mean, it's, a, it's like a pickup game generation here where you might just want to play something for short bursts and have to go do something else and let it go and come back quickly, and you don't want a console that takes five minutes to start up. You know, that's something I think that Nintendo has always been obsessed with. You know, you look back at the GameCube, their first disc system, and they caught a lot of flack for not, like, using a standard format, I guess, and using these smaller discs. But if you look at the loading times for a lot of GameCube games compared to anything else, it was like night and day. they just load it up super fast and that's kind of a philosophy they seem to have stuck to Um, and yeah it's definitely come to a head with the switch because you know I mean you turn turn this thing on and you know usually obviously I've been playing Breath of the Wild so that's usually what's uh, still on in sleep mode you know turn it on kind of go back to the game and boom you're right there within probably less than 10 seconds. Probably less than 5 seconds. And I mean, we're, we're at... In a living world where speed of access is a key element. Yeah, I mean, you compare that to something like the PS4, where even if you have it in sleep mode, it probably takes at least 30 seconds just to start up. Oh, are you talking about the Switch? Yeah, we're so we're talking about how um, I guess one of the central elements to this uh generations of consoles is kind of like ease of access and speed of access and like delayed gratification it's like when i get a ps4 game it's like okay i'll put this in and maybe i'll be able to play it in a couple hours <laughs> oh so that's yeah that's another that's another good point um yeah the install of games and you know like, I, it was shocking when i got a switch and i put zelda in and then like a minute later zelda is playing <laughs> Yeah, it's amazing yep. that that's like a surprising experience, but you know that's kind of where we're at. And you know, obviously, uh, like I said before, Nintendo's caught a lot of flack for the low storage space on the Switch, but I think part of that is a um, it would have been prohibitively expensive to put in any sort of large storage in that small space, like a giant solid state drive, yeah, like it, the. Like, super those expensive. Are hundreds and hundreds of dollars by themselves. Like. Yeah. And the second thing is just the advantage of the cartridge. Um, you don't have to do an install because it has the read speed required to just read the data off the cartridge. So, you know, that like, installs are out the window. Everything about the Switch can't work with a disk drive. Like, it, it would eat the battery life. Yeah. It would. May, it would mean that it was carrying around a uh, like fairly easy to damage uh, 
like motor that uh, <laughs> it would okay. run hotter. It would be it would force the device to be larger to accommodate the drive. Like, isn't this a lot of the the reasoning behind the Nintendo sixty four? Yeah, and why except they didn't that at the these then. Yeah, except that at this point, like you can actually get ROM chips large enough to be competitive. Yeah, I was gonna, and that was going to be the next point is finally the technology has cut up to the point where they can do it the way they wanted. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those situations where like at the time of the N64, all of these advantages still existed, but they like you couldn't really take advantage of them because like you were limited to the largest N64 game is like 500 is like 64 megabytes. Like that was as big as you could get. Yeah. 512 megabits. And so I mean, obviously this is kind of a problem if you're someone who prefers digital games, but I still think that the physical side of the business is still uh, a good deal larger than people like buying exclusively downloadable games. I wouldn't even say it's that big of a problem. I mean, it's not like yeah. this uses some horrible proprietary memory. No, and like... yeah, that's that's the other thing. You can buy an SD card, and you can buy multiple SD cards because it's pretty pretty easy to swap them out. You know, the slots. Like, there's right no on. reason to think like I'm buying the one SD card and I can really never yeah. use another one with yeah. it because it's like, you know, and, and especially because this will become less of a problem as the Switch ages, which is kind of fascinating. It's like because SD cards will continue to tumble in prices the way that they, like I'm I'm thinking about like when I first bought my PSP and like. You could, uh, I think it came with like a 64 megabyte memory stick. And you could not, for love nor money, you cannot get storage that small anymore. Like, you can't even get less than like 8 gigs at this point because, yeah. like, there's no point in manufacturing storage space that small anymore. So, like, the things that are like, you know, about $70 now, which is like a 200 gig micro SD card, like, in a couple years, those are basically going to be, you can't give these away. And I think it is using, like, the the most current SD card format. It's using SDXC, which means that it is future-proofed up through two terabytes of SD card. Okay. And so, uh, yeah, like, I mean, those are definitely going to steadily decline in price, and you'll find... By, by you'll the get... time that... Like, those don't exist yet. One terabyte <laughs> micro... Like, the largest SD card in the world, not micro SD like the Switch uses, the largest SD card is 512 gigabytes. And, like... like and it's it just a couple the, hundred dollars, but... Yeah, like, yeah. that's a super expensive SD card. And, like, in a few years, you'll probably be able to get, like, a terabyte SD card for, like, a couple hundred dollars. And, like, they'll, they'll just continue on like this because of this horrifying, like like SD card solid storage arms race. But Moore's like it, say what? Oh yeah, Moore's law like writ large. And it's like it it's more convenient to me than like the the concept of switching like the Xbone which has an internal hard drive that can't be touched at all or uh the uh PS4 which has like an internal hard drive, but you still have to move it around and, like, just actually replacing what is on it is kind of a pain, whereas, yeah. like, if I wanted to swap micro SD cards on the Switch and I didn't want to re-download everything, put it in the computer, rip out all the data, put all the data on the new SD card, put the new SD card into the Switch. Yep. Like, it's, it's a really, like, it is not... 
Like, it's one of those things where, like, for some reason, like, when Nintendo got onto external storage, they've never really screwed it up. No, it's true. I mean, they went right for the SD cards, even as early as the the DSi, which had, like, I always forget almost the nothing, nothing to do on, on the damn memory card. But yeah, like, they, they never wanted to try to, like, like that also saves them money, because it's like, making a proprietary, like, memory format is expensive. Like, there's, there's a lot of R&D that no one wants to spend money on unless they're trying to make a new format. And it was always weird that, that like, Sony is obsessed with, like, trying to make proprietary formats, and it's always for different reasons, but, like, you know, you get things like the Vita memory cards, which, like, I've done this before, where I, I just, on live on show, look up how much does a Vita memory card cost versus an equivalent amount of storage, and it's just hideous. Yeah. It's hideous. Well, I, s- I still think that that was, like, this huge, huge overreaction to all the piracy on the PSP. Yeah, like, it was piracy, and I'm trying to think of, like, what else caused it. The thing is that I think part of what stops them from really trying to lock down the Switch is that, like, it no longer really makes sense for pirates to try to hack the heck out of these things, because they just hack their phones. Like, if I want to put emulators <laughs> on something, I'm putting it on my phone. And, like, I've, I've looked at, like, the idea of, like, think of how good the Switch would be as, like, the ultimate hacked portable emulation machine. Like, it's perfect for basically anything, like, if you could get PS2 emulators to run on it, which is kind of a stretch because, you know, the internals and, like, PS2 emulation, but if you could, it would be the ultimate portable PS2. That's true. Like, <laughs> it, it has, like, it has all the buttons to do anything. Like, I would love for there to be emulators on this, but I don't think there's ever going to be emulators on this, because no matter how much sense it makes, it makes way more sense to put them on Android and iOS and have, like, a bazillion people just download them. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's, like, it's one of those things where, like, they don't have to worry about leaving their platform as vulnerable anymore, because their platform has been made less desirable by the market. I I think another thing that's kind of deterred a lot of that is just frequent updates. Yeah, like the 3DS never really got super cracked. Like you can you can do it, but you really have to be committed to it. Yeah. I mean, there's so many people. There's so many people. You know, maybe not buying uh, digital games, maybe just buying DLC. That you know, the risk of losing your access to that. Um kind of deters, I'd say, the majority of people from doing anything like that. Yeah, and there's also just, like, realizing, if I screw this up, this thing's gonna be, like, this thing's not gonna do, this thing's going to be a really expensive paperweight, it's not gonna yep. weigh down paper all that well, and like, I, they're definitely not gonna replace it, because they're gonna know what, they're gonna ask, why did your firmware break? Yeah. <laughs> Gone are the days where you just stick the card in the DS slot and Hey, look at that! I'm playing emulators uh, and time, this fan translation of awesome Saga games. Oh man, can Saga Scarlet Grace get ported to the Switch? That would be fun. Uh, can it be um, translated into English? That would be nice. Can it be both? Hey, since we're having, since we're just wishing here, sure, why not? <laughs> <laughs> if we're going to like. If Wishes for Horses, Beggars would ride, and I would be playing every Saga game all day. Mm. Well, if Wishes for Fishes, we'd all be eating sushi tonight. Oh, man, that doesn't happen yet. Sushi. Yeah. Oh. 
Yeah, like it, it's it's a really it's a very interesting platform. I really I've fallen in love with it basically immediately just because like the form factor is so convenient. Like I I go off to like work on something and then like I decide oh I have a ten minute break I'll play some Zelda for ten minutes, pop it on like the sleep function is so good at preserving battery that like leaving Zelda on but in sleep mode basically means is null to how much battery it's actually going to take. Yeah. Like, and and uh, Mike compared it to like turning on a cell phone from sleep mode yeah. and it, it is definitely like that exact same sort of speed. Yeah, it's just like bam, it's on. Like if you want you can even t- tell it not to bother with the screen locking just immediately jump into the game. Yeah. And you compare that to something like the PS4 or the x where you're, yeah. It's going to yell at you while it goes, and then, like, five minutes later, it will have finished downloading whatever, like, patch it needed that was, like, and installing it, and then it's like, oh, now here's for another, like, minute of the game itself booting, and yeah. Yeah, and, you know, it really, you know, as much as people bagged on the Wii U and everything it did wrong. I think this this is absolutely the vision they were trying to get to and obviously didn't have the technology Once again, to do. Once again, the tech wasn't quite there. Yeah. Yeah, like, there's also just, like, the tactile novelty of the Joy-Cons. Like, this isn't super important, but it is still kind of fun to just slide them on and off. Like, yeah. when you slide them on and the thing's powered on, it makes that click sound that is, like, the trademark of the Switch. And that that advanced rumble is okay, the pretty neat. Okay, is actually really yeah, good. it's it's neat. It feels I remember, like two Sundays ago, just watching the the daytime talk shows in, over here in Japan showing off their new switches, and it was like they they had a lot of fun with the ninja sword catching game. <laughs> oh man, yeah, I've heard that some of the one two switch mini games are actually surprisingly good. Yep. I may have to pick that up at some point, just to mess around with. Yeah, because it, it looks like a real fun, like, if I had more people that I hung out with, it'd be like, oh yeah, this will be a fun, like, we'll have a night just doing dumb things, playing milk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, I mean, and I, I picked up, the like, their Pro Controller, and I've been even impressed with the quality of that. It's just an all-around solid controller. Still kind of shocked that apparently, if you plug that thing into a computer, it immediately recognizes it as an X input controller. Oh, that's pretty. That's good. That, that nice. is good to know. I am yeah, likely like, to use it for that. Because apparently, it's a really nice controller. I haven't it, used it myself. But. It's quite good. But yeah, like it's appa- like apparently the Joy Cons also are recognized if you can get their Bluetooth to pair with the computer. Like they huh. work just fine. Huh. <laughs> But it's a, it'd be a weird thing to do, but you can do it. But the um, oh, but I'm sure that somebody will try to do it. Oh, oh uh, someone already <laughs> has. That's how we know that it works. Uh, no, I mean, <laughs> make something else to work with it. Oh heavens, that sounds like a nightmare. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm just thinking of like Crypt of the Necrodancer, which is playable with DDR pad. Mm. Oh man, I remember playing that before it came out at PAX East in with the DDR pad, and it was super fun actually. But, uh, <laughs> they didn't have the pad with, at uh, TGS when I played it. Played the uh, alpha. Uh. I'm glad that's fun, that's getting translated into Japanese, though. It seems like a game that could really have likes just about anywhere because it's. Um, it, got, it got published for Vita over here last summer. Nice, nice. Who, who published yeah. it over there? Um, I do not remember. Hmm. 
just going to assume play is him. <coughs> yeah, switch. Good times. Yeah. Like, uh, really slick feeling system. And s speaking of stuff like Crypt of the Necrodancer, I like that they are getting indie games on there, like, right away. And yeah, like, the weirdest thing seems to be that they're getting so many indie games that they're actually trying to stagger their releases. Well, the impression I got talking to some of the indie developers at PAX East was that uh, a lot of them are trying to get on there because, you know, it's obviously an empty marketplace right now and they want to get visibility for their games. Yeah. So I'm sure they're getting, like, all sorts of submissions. Yeah, and like it, it seems like they're being much less guarded about what is allowed on there. I mean, I remember back in the back in the early 3DS days, there was an announced like attempt to port Binding of Isaac to the uh, 3DS, and they were and Nintendo was like, "I'm not sure if we want this like uh, like pus and blood and vomit covered game about a, a like half aborted baby." on our platform, and now it's like, oh, that's a launch game, there's a physical copy, it's the only platform there's a physical Binding of Isaac copy for. Comes with an instruction booklet modeled after the original Zelda's instruction booklet. Oh, and later on, on the 3DS, we end up with games like Starfrost Amazons or Toshi and Toshi, which itself was <laughs> like what a, game. A, ba a barely, barely bowdlerized version of an old hentai game. Man, that cottage industry is fascinating. <laughs> Gonna say, I, I'm curious. It's like if this... a train. It's fascinating, like a train wreck. <laughs> but uh, what I was gonna say is, uh, I don't know what edition of Breath of the Wild you picked up. Wheels, did you pick up the uh, special edition or just a regular? Uh... I got the special edition, not the super ultra mega mega whatever yeah. edition. Yeah. Uh, okay. I was I was going to ask if we could compare cases because I was curious if it always just was a really nice piece of art covering the back, or uh, if that was just a special edition thing. But since we bought the same edition, I can't find out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a note about the special edition: I think the carrying case it came with is shit. I've actually been uh, pretty lucky with it. Uh, maybe maybe I don't know if there's something wrong with mine, but it slides around in there. I can't seem to secure it enough to have it not do that. Yeah, mine seems tied down enough that I haven't had any issues. So. I wonder if maybe I've just got a defective strap. Well, I got lucky. Hooray! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a nice-looking case, I for really sure. I really do like the, the Sheikah Slate design. Yeah. Oh, wheels, wheels. Yes. Found out, found out who published um, Crypt of the Necrodancer in Japan. Who? Oh, you're going to love this. Oh, God. Spike Chinsoft. Oh man! You know that actually makes sense. Makes a whole lot of sense. Yeah. yeah. Sorta. Yep. Yeah. The the original roguelike kings themselves. Yep. Yes. Yeah. That is kind of funny. <laughs> and for, even they better, um, they they included some um, like bonus characters. I remember this now. For um, for those for the PlayStation versions. So you can actually play as Shiren, or a character called Janga, <gasps> or a character called um, or a series called Kinkabancho. Yes. Yes. So um, you can actually they actually have reskinned versions of some of the characters in Crypt of the Necrodancer as Monokuma from Danganronpa. Oh, that's really good. Or Shiren the Wanderer. Oh, please tell me Shiren's in the English version too. 
I have no oh, idea. Oh god, I'm gonna have to find that out now. That's a really great set of bonuses. So. Uh, uh, I also am just really happy to see anything that references that Kenkabancho happened, because we tragically only got one of those in the U.S. and I loved that game. Uh, and this gives me a chance to remind everyone to get Sheeran for the Vita, because it's a great roguelike. Something about dice. Towers, I think. I can't remember what its very long subtitle was. Uh, uh, Tower of Fortune and the Dice of Fate. Yeah, it follows the Japanese convention of two-part secondary titles that don't translate well. Yeah, yeah, sort of sounds it. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you should but, check out check out the review of that game on our site. I hear some cool dude reviewed it. I hear a nerd reviewed it. I didn't like well, the bosses, the but like everything else was gravy. Nerd and cool dude are m not mutually exclusive. <laughs> they are in this case. <laughs> oh. In conclusion, I kind of just want to play everything on Switch now. It's like all games. Yeah, I'm a little weirded out by the Binding of Isaacs, but but I'm probably just gonna go buy it, and mess around with it. But yeah, like it's it's one of those situations where like, if I have a choice, it's basically always gonna be Switch because it's like being able to carry it around, is really yeah. nice, and it doesn't feel remotely like a compromise because like the screen is probably nicer than my sort of junky old TV. <laughs> yeah, like Lego City Undercover, oh, it's coming to everything. Yeah, Switch. Thank yeah, you. like Switch version yeah. is the yeah. version I want. I'm, I'm just, I'm just like, right, I'm, but right now I'm, oh, I can't think of Switch right now because I'm thinking, oh, it should be two weeks until I get Legend of Legacy, but no. Oh. What is that called now? Alliance not, Alive. Not like, Alliance Alive. Yeah, yeah delayed. Oh. That's not going to get a localization, is it? No, oh, we have to. Someone level with me. Wheels, wheels, wheels. Yes. Uh, I was through Mitsu's last thing for um, for this game, and you know how one of the I mean, it's got seven major characters, and one of them looks a bit like Pressy from Star Ocean Two. She's this little girl genius who rides around Precious. in the flying. Yeah. Yeah. Precious. Yeah. Well, I I didn't quite realize this until I saw some of the battle pictures, but the fight, the walking little robot that she fights in is a giant rubber ducky. Awesome! <laughs> it looks like a giant metallic rubber ducky. It's called the Swan Song. <laughs> and, and in its battle mode with the, with the protective helmet on over her, over the pilot seat, it's yeah. a duck head. Good. Perfect. Alright, yeah, that's, that is fantastic. <laughs> It is I am sad. happier than I was three seconds ago. <laughs> well, I'm going to import it to support the game regardless, and uh, hope for localization. Because a lot of the games I import seem to get localized. Yeah. I'm um, good luck, Use damn it. That curse. Use that curse for good. Although, uh, God Eater 2 took a long time after I imported it to finally get localized. You got yourself some Rage Burst. Yeah. And I think... Uh, I think Legend of Legacy got announced like right as my Japanese copy shipped or something. Something weird like that. I thought Legend of Legacy did reasonably well here, but I didn't I can't be sure. Uh I hope. Please go buy it. Please. There's still copies available. <laughs> Please. 
<laughs> you can get it on the eShop. It's right there. It is a beautiful game. Yeah, it's we. There's two reviews on our site. Both gave it four out of five. Mm-hmm. It it's may good. or may not have been two people on the show that reviewed it. Can't confirm or deny this. <laughs> You'll just have to check the reviews to find out. Yeah. But focus on the text. Don't focus on the name on the top. It's not important. Well, the name is in text, man. The string literal here. <laughs> All right, computer programming man. Hey, you're the you're the turbo nerd when it comes to computer programming. Listen, I I only have my master's. I don't have my doctorate. Okay. <laughs> I only. I really just want to sock you in the face every time you say that. <laughs> Say, in programming, how many programmers actually even have a full degree like that? Uh, probably not that many. I mean, you don't... Only a master's, uh-huh. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I mean... salute your ability to uh, to pull through that. I wish I had your drive. Uh, I, I mean, to be honest, if you really want to be a programmer, uh, you don't need any sort of degree. Because I know. a lot That's of this, that is the principle I am hoping to yes. one day operate. Upon. A lot of the stuff, <laughs> a lot of the stuff you learn is kind of like this higher level stuff that is not nearly important to like data. You saw me reading all. about it. It's always a bit more like a very technical minded, like almost the blue collar ver- um, blue collar of the computer industry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a skill set that you need to learn, but you can't act, can't necessarily learn it from. Uh, Teaching is of limited effectiveness. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's, like, some basic concepts of programming you need to learn, but, I mean, like, especially the undergrad degree, I mean, I'm taking, being forced to take, like, chemistry and wondering, like, why why am I doing this? (laughs) Why am I doing this? Broaden your horizons, because you never know when some random bit of information can help. Ugh. Well, that did lead me to take some interesting history classes, at least. But well, th- we are going we are going down a weird path. It's the history podcast. To, to talking, oh. the history podcast. We're going down to a weird topic of discussing the, whether or not traditional college is <laughs> effective or not. So, well, well, one of the positive points is that you never know when some really random bit of information may turn up to be relevant for whatever it's you're true. doing. And you yeah. know, I'm sure a I lot. I mean, like, like, okay, back to video games. Nightmare Project Yakata. I would not have recognized seventy-five percent of the references in that game if it had not been for certain humanities courses in college. It's true. And even then, a couple of them I had to look up because there's no way in hell I was going to be able to recognize 1930s Japanese science fiction literature. <laughs> that actually sounds pretty rad. Uh... Google the story Dogara Malgara sometime and. It's it's this really weird metaphysical thing about the nature of evil and whether or not it can be genetically determined. That sounds rad as hell. Sadly, yeah. vaguely eugenically. Hopefully not. Uh, um, well, it was the '30s. Everything. Yeah. Was Let's see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was the '30s. Japan was going down a path, um, but oh, most of the world was at that time. <laughs> and how? I mean, oh, play the Devil Summoner Rido games and have some fun with some with picking the references there. Yeah, I, I remember playing the second Devil Summoner Rido game and meeting this um, like random folklore historian in the t- in the little country town who was recording all the stories of yeah. people he was talking to. 
and I saw his name, and I'm like, I have this dude's book on my bookshelf. <laughs> Inagita Kunio, I have, the, I have a book by him. I'm like, cool. Significantly less exciting than Kunio Kuns. Uh, yeah. Or perhaps significantly less hot-blooded than Kunio Kun. Yes, okay, less passionate and hot-blooded, but still a really cool little thing to include. Oh, definitely, like, definitely. Well, yeah. now, now I need to insert foreigner music into this podcast. Thanks. Wait, what? Oh. What's up? Hot-blooded, check in and see. It'd be way better Got if that of inserting the one that made sense you inserted, like Double Vision or something. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a big fan of that song. Double Vision's good. You're cold-blooded, man. Now I'm just thinking of an old dinosaur comics. Let's move on. All right. Um, well, I was going to say, what are you guys playing recently? Out of curiosity. It's Breath of the Wild. Aside from Breath of the Wild. We've covered that one to death. Super Robot Wars B. Oh, I just finished one of those games a while back. That was Which fun. One? Maso Kishin, Lord of Oh, Elemental. yeah, I saw your review on that, and I was like, yeah, that sounds like what I've heard about Maso Kishin, Lord of Elemental. Yeah, I'm like, okay, for design philosophies in regards to story, placing a two-year gap in the middle of your story can be okay. I mean, Lufia 2 managed to do it pretty well, yeah. but placing a two-year gap in the story that contains, at a minimum, four other games of the series, and then expecting yeah. the player to continue from that with characters from these games that were skipped over, now in the story, and other characters, you have no idea where the hell they've gone. Yeah. If you even know that if they're alive or dead. All those names are kind of amazing. All the sequels to that game have amazing names, though. What was that? Coffin of the End, Revelation of Evil God. That's my favorite. Revelation of yeah. Evil God, Pride of Justice, and Coffin of the End. Pride yes. of Justice. And then F. And like, yeah. F is huh? Coffin of the End. Oh, F is Coffin of the End? Okay. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like... I, it I was, lost track after a while. <laughs> yeah, it's like the... the it, it's referencing like the super old school uh, Super Robot Wars where like F was supposed to be final and then thankfully they didn't decide that this needed an F final because that was my personal favorite insane thing they did. Like, you have Super Robot Wars 2, 3, and F that make, like, 4... Uh, 2, 3, and 4, and then 4 got an updated re-release on newer platforms as F, and then they made a sequel to F called F Final. I don't know what's going on right now. <laughs> but, yeah. Of course, nobody's ever quite sure what is going on. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's great. Um, it's, I mean, it... We could try to dis discuss the story stylings of Super Robot Wars title, but there's a rabbit hole that we do not want to go down. The yeah. best part is that I'm almost certain that the second half of, like, I'm almost certain that the second half of uh, Maso Kishin, like, takes place after, like, half of the original generation games. The entire original generation trilogy. Like, we're, we're currently at, like... I mean, I mean there's dwellers. a conversation at the beginning of Chapter 25 of Maso Kishin here that references the Inspectors, the Arrogators, and at least four other villains or villain groups from the original Generation trilogy. Yeah, it probably mentions the Einst at some stage. Uh... Yes, it mentions the Einst, it mentions Darth Shura, it mentions a couple things I don't remember. Yeah, um, I, I would the imagine the... Inspectors, and yeah. it... 
and it shows a cut scene where Shu Shirakawa is turning coat on his own cult and with the help of a prince and princess of Lagias who you don't actually see for the rest of this game yeah. and a and a minor party a minor teammate that you only met like four levels before the big explosion in the middle of the game and you haven't don't see after that and the four of these guys or five of these guys together take on the evil god and kill him man i freaking love super and robot force and the game <laughs> continues after that that's so dumb, and it's a, it's a shame that they didn't do more to the game, because it's based off of a much older game, and they don't seem to have done much to it. No, I mean, much of what they did was simply add in references to the original Generation trilogy, and then a post-log. Yeah. Section, it's like... which, does, which naturally continues from a lot of the stuff that happened to Lagias during the original Generation trilogy, but... Yeah. But unless you've actually played that trilogy, you have no idea what the hell they're referencing. Yeah, it's it's a shame, like, because I actually do quite like the Maso Kishin characters, even though they're kind of blatantly knocked off of a few different things. A lot of Ored Battler Dunbine is basically uh is basically Maso Kishin, but uh Yeah. But, but I mean, there, there's a good reason why I gave that game a one on story, and it's not yeah. because the overall story was bad. It was because it's without extensive knowledge of the series, it makes no sense in the last eighteen to twenty chapters. Yeah, like it, it, it just completely disconnects itself halfway through, and it's just like, because uh, like it's a shame. I, I, I wish they had done more with that remake because, as far as I can tell, they mostly just made it more confusing. And more difficult on some of the final bosses. Yeah, because I mean, there, that game wasn't hard boss. enough to begin with. Yeah, there's this one boss who is not even the final boss, but he is a like a conclusion of one of the subplots. Yeah. And this giant mecha. Okay, not only does I mean I have no idea if the game actually has damage resistance. I just know that if you have two comparable mecha of com comparable stats of the same element. And one of them is hitting like 600 damage at the front of this boss, and the other one is hitting 10, no matter what direction. Yeah. You got something wrong here. And second, if your entire strategy to beat the boss relies on a spirit ability to double your damage, then using the highest power weapon you can manage after 10 to 15 rounds, because you have to build up your morale in order to use it, and then hitting this thing from behind for the one round or one attack that the ability that the power up ability is active you do not want to have a boss with like level 7 combat awareness so it turns around 80% of the time you do not want a boss with level 7 deflection so it can just dodge or not dodge it can just brush away the attack 80% of the time and you don't want it with a boss with level 7 dodge. Oh. More importantly, you do not want a boss with this defense, with this damage reduction, with with level 7 in all three of these skills, and a 40-50% to 50 regeneration rate per round. Oh, heavens. Yeah. Like, that, that's a really old-school, like, way that they used to really like to do bosses. They, like, the, the mainline... Uh, SRW games basically never had like a directional thing uh, component to worry about, but like yeah, a lot of that, apparently that was actually introduced for Masokishi. 
Yeah, and it never seems to have cross-pollinated back, even when they started making more Masokishin games. But, uh... Like, it was one of those... It, like, Masokishin, they, they tried to introduce elements that seemed to exist to try to make the strategy more complicated, but they're mostly just obnoxious. Yeah. No, what's really obnoxious, though? Okay, so the same boss... I, um, he, I mean, he's incredibly difficult to hit, but he doesn't hit very hard. Yeah. So at one point I had managed to get the guy surrounded and had got his fuel gauge so low that even with the like 30 point regeneration per round mm -hmm. when it came time for him to attack he very often did not have enough fuel to hit me. Yeah. And I did not have anything left that could hurt him and this was 16 rounds in. The purest stalemate I, imaginable. <laughs> Yes, I, and I had to reset the game in order to try again. That's, I fought uh, this guy eight times on the on the second time through the game. Um, I, I managed to play two separate branches of the end game yeah. on two playthroughs, and he was much nastier on the set on the other one, the second mm -hmm. one. And just I had I had to fight this battle eight times in order to get the two or three lucky shots in the same round I needed to kill him. Yeah, like it's interesting to contrast this because like, Masokishin represents like I think WinkySoft actually came back to develop that one, and like, it, it definitely represents like them just sort of picking right back up where they had been in like 1995 and just going back. Whereas and like, the, and the worst huh? part, what? The final battle of either branch of the endgame yeah. features three super mecha with very similar characteristics to this thing I'm complaining about. Oh. I mean, their levels in combat awareness, dodge, and deflection are not quite as high, but the necessary strategies are the same, except there's three of them. So it just has to be... And, and to add more fun, they all have double move. Oh. Two of, and they all three of them have map abilities, which can. Oh no! I mean, I'm, I'm, this is not even theoretical. They, um, they will have just one of these guys take out your entire party in one round oh. because spams the map ability twice. Oh, that's uh, it's completely random if it happens, but it does happen. Uh, yes. It contrasts really impressively with like. V, which I've been playing, which if anything it's probably a little too easy, because like essentially, they, they've uh, if you've played a more, like, recent Super Robot Wars, like, most of those like, really obnoxious traits have been scaled back on. There's a lot more just, like, ability to make, to take a favorite unit and make it really, really destructively broken. Uh, cool. There's, and there's, there's also just, like, spirit commands don't work like are different in uh v because you don't start out with all of your spirit points but you regenerate spirit points every turn every character no, regenerates I really, spirit points. really wish masokishin had that because yeah. there's no way to restore spirit points in that game oh that's terrible yeah like you regen spirit points every turn which seems to exist to make sure that you can't stalemate like that anymore because those spirit commands will essentially force you out of draws yeah, but yeah, like it, it, it's got a lot of really good convenience features. I really enjoy the series list so far because, like, I'm a really big fan of the anime uh, Shin Mazinger, which 
didn't get the sequel that it sets up, and so, but this wrote in a new sequel for it. <laughs> oh, that's nice. I, I like that. Yeah, because, like, like, Shin Mazinger ends with, like, the implication of a Shin Great Mazinger, and then, like, one of the first things you run into is Shin Great Mazinger, and its <laughs> pilot never said a thing. So, like, the fact that he has... I'm not... He might have had, like, one or two lines in the anime, but he basically never said anything. So, like, seeing him talking and, like, okay, this guy has, an, has like, a plan and, like, a thing that he's doing that doesn't... That, like, all of this is new content. No one has ever seen this before. This is very strange. But, yeah, like, it's really... it's V is very, very good. It, like, if anything, it's too easy, but it's very, very... Like, it nails the presentation, and it's it's them doing something fun, so... Well, yeah, I'm, I'm very pleased with that. The other game I'm playing right now is Tales of Hearts. Oh man, I love Tales of Hearts. The DS version? DS version. Yes. Yes. It's working very nice. Um, yeah. It's so good. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm liking the characterizations a lot too. I mean, some, a lot of the the minor scenes are just hilarious. Yeah, it's got a lot of fun character interaction. Yep. And that combat is fantastic. Yeah, and and the way that you upgrade characters in that game is just fun. Like, yeah, well, I'm I'm do have a bit of a complaint there where about how um, I was I've like there were a couple times where I got upgrades. Um, I was looking over the upgrades list and like, okay, these must be I um the items I need. These must be items I can get in the next level or two levels or so. Fifteen hours later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's I still haven't problem. found some of these items, and as it turns out, they can require items that won't appear until the near the end game. Sometimes. Yeah, like that's one of the like gating problems where it's like, oh, this is a neat system, and then sometimes you run into like, oh, I can't do this at all. Maybe I just missed something, or maybe I can't get it yet. Who knows? Um, yeah, it was massive. I mean, they had some issues with the gating because we're talking like. The third, the fourth or fifth upgrade on the the equipment out of ten or so, actually maybe the third upgrade, and it's requiring items that won't appear until, like, twenty hours later in the game. Yeah, I really love everything else about it, though. So yeah, I mean it's a, I mean it hasn't really gotten in the way of anything, though it was really annoying to have the nurse spell just sitting there in a character's to learn. It's getting there, we, and you're just um, waiting for the battle to give it to you. No, I had I had nurse available to learn at, at the the city on the lake. Yeah. And then after beating that scenario, and then visiting the the um, fun fun merchant city, and then going through the probably tall tower. And then getting kidnapped and held in the military base and having to fight my way out through that. And then having to... Um, then going back to the capital and um, accidentally getting accused of colluding with an attempt to assassinate the Empress completely by accident and having to escape through a sewer duct. And then trudging through the desert, getting lost in a sandstorm, getting separated and having to fight giant sandworms. And then trudging through a cave, and and then having to put, um, having to help repel a an assault upon the Crystal Knights' holy city by a, a ten thousand strong army 
of dream eater infested berserker warriors finally <laughs> I get to the level of materials needed to get the one crystal I need for nurse <laughs> that is a full ten or like ten chapters into the farther into yeah, the game yeah that was tons of dungeons that you just rattled off <laughs> yes uh, and I may have forgotten one or two I'm not sure oh quite plausibly it's been a yes. while but and also this I'm like I could really use an a heal everyone ability. When am I going Please. to get shining stone that I need to make it? Okay, I finally did. Like, oh, One other nice thing I want to point out is that I think the uh, spriting in the DS version is much more attractive than the relatively cheap 3D models of the Vita version. Oh, yeah. Heck, uh, they've got some incredible body language on these sprites. They're really nice. Yeah, I mean, you, you know the old adage, show, don't tell. I mean, like, yeah. I mean, the characters don't have to say anything. It actually made it surprisingly, like, somewhat easier to understand, if not the core of what was happening, but, like, the beats of the story for someone whose Japanese is very, very limited, like mine, to, like, I mean, the way those characters move. I mean, it's like, oh, what was the character? Kisui. Um, um, mm -hmm. It's like, all of his body language is excellent, and you can tell that he's in love with that green-haired girl, like, yeah. six hours before anything anyone actually says anything about it. Yeah, like, it's... Oh, man, those sprites are so good, and they're so expressive. Yeah. I'm like, this is a DS game? Seriously. This is a DS Nuts. game. Nice. Like, you, you can tell that they had decided to just, like, the gloves are off, we're having actual, like, Namco Tales Studio is making this, not, like, we're not contracting this out to anyone, we're just doing it. Yeah, after Tempest. <clears throat> yeah, um, oh, cool. I would love to know, like, Dimps is one of the most, like, prolific contract developers ever, and, like, the sheer amount of, like, crazy contracts they've gotten is... I, I would love to know how that happens. It's like, oh, yeah, we made, uh, you know, we made Tales of the Tempest for some reason, but also we were the, like, contract for the underlying, like, game development of Street Fighter Four. Why? I don't know. <laughs> Because we're a very large company that has many different branches, and we yep. don't really do what they do. It's it's one of those things where it's like, oh, they're the they're a more visible Tose. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, uh, in, in other news, may I put in a personal plug? Always. Oh, just um, at the end of last, uh, literally the end of last year, like two days before New Year's, I put up a book on Kindle Store. Oh, oh wow! Yeah, so I'm getting ready to put the second part up now, or soonish, hopefully. Say the name. Audience wants uh, to hear. Oh well, this one's got a story behind it, but it's uh, "Princesses of the Pizza Parlor." <laughs> I'm sold. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, the I mean the idea is um, it's like about two summers ago. Um, it was a family reunion vacation, and I got stuck with my niece playing this um this card version of Game of Life where you're mm. basically making up a story with cards that you draw from the various decks. Yeah. And it got got really hilariously detailed um, <laughs> at times. Like, there was one game that ended with my brother just slamming down a 10 years past card and then detailing his own personal version of Homer's Odyssey <laughs> by the cards that he was pulling out. And he had to borrow my... Um, we'd been fighting... We'd been throwing lawsuits back and forth over who was the discoverer of 
Bigfoot. And so that's incorporated this into his story of the Odyssey. Um, that's but, so, but yeah, um, so at, after we got home, I was very, like, one very sleepy night, I was getting in the shower and thinking, okay, so, um, what would have happened if I'd had to play, to play a different game with my niece, like Dungeons and Dragons? <laughs> and the first thing that came to mind was, oh, she'd probably want to play a princess. Okay. What about her friends? What would they do? Oh, they could all be princesses, too. How does that work? And so I get, as it turns out, it works by just giving everybody 15 charisma and saying you're a princess. Sounds good. And an automatic, like, five skill ranks and knowledge nobility just for the hell of it. And that turned, in, that turned into a story that um, actually started writing the first episode in the middle of TGS 2015. Oh, wow. And um, I just finished the fourth episode in my notebook, like, last week. Nice. So editing and stuff, and want to get the second one up on internet soon. Nice. Check it out. That sounds fun. So it's, um, they like each episode's about twenty thousand words or so, so it's fairly light read. But it's a uh, basically a guy who has been kind of guilted into running his niece's game because she mm -hmm. wants to, she she has no idea what it's about. She just thinks it looks cool and she wants to try it and. So he's basically running a Pathfinder game for her and her four friends. <laughs> with as much of it based on actual Pathfinder stuff as I could get away with. <laughs> um, the, setting, the, setting is, the setting is whatever I just came up with on the fly. And it's getting progressively more complicated. And I think I've got like 20 different text files for different background points I just started making up. Because, wow. Mills, you remember how I get when we're just like knocking back four Oh, yeah. And, back and forth about crazy ideas. Yeah, some of this ended up in the story. Excellent. <laughs> and it, it it just gets crazier and crazier and crazier. Yep. Yep. Should look that up. Yep. So the uh, the actual title of the first episode is Princesses Don't Do Summer School. Because the <laughs> the uh, well, you know how most of these games, um, most of these table games start off like everybody meets in the, the pub or something. Mm -hmm. This one is everybody meets, um, everybody's attending the same school for young ladies, and they're all called up to the headmistress's office to inform them that the magical route that they usually take to get home has accidentally been disabled because of stone trolls or something like that, <laughs> and so they will have to stay at school over the summer. And the their character's reaction is uh, unanimous: screw that, and they find. Fastest way to sneak out of school and go on an adventure instead. <laughs> Good start. Yep. And all the while, the headmistress and half the faculty are watching them through a crystal ball and just laughing. <laughs> Whatever. They're yep. bad summer to have. <laughs> yep. Uh. Oh, here we go. I found it on Amazon. Put that in the show notes. We have show notes. <laughs> put it in the put it in your forum signature then. There, okay. do it. All right. Well, it's already in my forum signature. Oh, yeah. there you go. Uh, so I didn't get the chance to talk about what I am playing right now. Oh, Sounds like you're playing sleep. <laughs> Other than Zelda, uh, so. Uh, I'm doing this whole thing where I'm going through a bunch of atelier at 
Atelier. How about the other Michael says what it is, and then you can imitate Okay, that. fine. Well, hey, I'm, I'm not quite sure what the actual trans, um, actual pronunciation is in English, um, for that matter, because um, the Japanese translation is Atelier, mm -hmm. and I usually just go Atelier. However, I'm playing I'm playing Sophie on my computer right now, and she pronounces it Atelier. I'm like... I have no idea how you got that pronunciation, and otherwise, the voice actress's work is spot on for Sophie, not so much for everybody else. Yeah, I, Sophie I is great. Some of the games don't even actually keep it consistent between games, so I would yeah. just stick with the Japanese one. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, so I'm doing Atelier Sophie. Which one are you doing? Uh, Sophie as well. Uh, and I on, will be, on I will, computer or PlayStation or Vita and PS4. Well, I'm doing it on my laptop, and I'm happy to note that it actually plays on my laptop. I was kind of concerned about that. Well, that's good. However, the the intro, like the the uh, video sections, music video sections, don't work. Huh. It gets it starts getting really choppy, like like yeah. Interesting. It took me a while to figure out which button on my keyboard corresponded to the start button so I could skip it. <laughs> that seems really important. Oh, no. I mean, I spent ten minutes at the beginning of playing this game trying to figure out the control panel, how it worked. Mm. And I... Oh, I more, it must have been more than ten minutes because I spent almost five minutes stuck in a menu. <laughs> um, the, the, diction, the encyclopedia menu because I couldn't figure out how to get out. Ooh. As it turns out, backspace. Figure. I don't really see backspace used in a lot of games, so I don't actually blame you for not figuring that one out. Yeah, um... Yeah. I just happened to be lucky enough to get a, a Steam code for this game, and... Hmm. I figured, Sounds hey, like why not? Sounds like it's a decent version. Sounds like it's a decent enough version. Yeah. I mean, I figured, hey, why not? I may have played this series on... PlayStation, PlayStation 2, PlayStation 3, DS, 3DS, Game Boy, Game, oh, Game Boy Color, Game Boy Advance, and one of my old cell phones. <laughs> oh yeah, I heard they re-released like the first one for cell phones. Yes, and it was awful. I'm not surprised. <laughs> um, there was load times for to do anything because it had to send packets up and down the line. <laughs> <laughs> you might pirate your freaking cell phone game. Oh no! This is um, it was this is far enough back that it was actually a space issue. Oh man, that's even better. <laughs> I mean, when I say phone, I'm talking like an old flip-top phone. Yeah, yeah. Seven years ago. Yeah, yeah. I remember. Like Japan oh, no, got no, onto the idea of like. Ago. Yeah. Japan got onto the idea of like putting games on cell phones way faster than America did, and they're they did some things. <laughs> It is some really interesting things. I mean, I have actually reviewed two different cell phone games for the site. Oh, I remember wow. uh, th this is. I think I mentioned this story when, like, fairly soon after it happened. But I remember going to Suda 51's panel about preserving his old games back at uh, PAX West 2016, and like they they asked the audience, "So, how many people have heard of like the 25th Ward?" And like, no one had any idea what that was and I just tentatively raised my hand and was like, okay, well, since no one else knows what that is, uh, 
The 25th Ward was a cell phone only sequel to the Silver Case. <laughs> and it's like, oh yeah, Suda51 wants to port that to other things because he's never actually played it because it wasn't released on the kind of cell phone he uses. <laughs> hey, hey, I'm still hoping and dreaming that Square Enix decides to port their cell phone remake of Star Ocean Blue Sphere. Oh man, like reading your because, review is like, yes, I need to play some version of this. Yes, um, because the graphical update was really nice. And it looks like something that should have been available on the 3DS for three or four years ago. Yeah, it, like, I would imagine the graphical update, did it use assets from, like, Second Evolution or something? No, it was actually a full-on, like, GBA to Super Nintendo-level graphical remake of oh, the Oh, that sounds awesome. I mean, I think, um, well, I know I put up before and after photos in Japandemonium that week. Uh, I must have missed that Japandemonium. You know what? Let me find it for you. Japan Demonium. That sounds perfect. But yeah. Um... No, come on. Sophie. Yeah. You talk about Sophie while I'm looking at these pictures. <laughs> uh, so I'm quite enjoying. Like December, December 2009. So. Okay, there we. I thought. No, wait a minute. Wrong one. Um, it was sometime in 2009. Mm -hmm. the wrong thing. Okay. But yeah, very nice little game. Um, we're talking about how... St or talking about having to understand story. Mm -hmm. um, you don't actually have to play Second Story in order to play this game. Oh, wow. I proved that, because I have not actually played Second Story. <laughs> but it's kind of um it's uh, i think we actually talked about this uh, sometime in the past before but like half the characters in this game are mutually exclusive hmm. uh, but they're not um, but they're all together at the very beginning of uh, blue sphere yeah like that was that was always like i remember reading about blue sphere and it's like not only are half these characters unwilling to ever travel with each other, Star Ocean 2 arbitrarily limits you to eight people, so even if the two characters don't have specific conflicts, you still can't carry them all. Yep. And they just went, you know, it's a lot... Whatever. <laughs> it's a lot more fun to um, just imagine, okay, we have this interesting group of people who are going on an adventure together. Yeah. And... If you want to know more about them, hey, we've got little character profiles at the beginning or right after the opening credits if you want to keep watching. Nice. Yep. Uh, so it's uh it's it's got to be one of the few times where I've just had to give a good story a good story score for not telling a story. Like just being like we don't want to make this so dependent upon a game that you very well may never have played. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's it's very similar to the story philosophy of like Final Fantasy Legend 2, where, you know, sometimes you don't want to tell the entire story. You want to leave it a bit up in the air. It's like, you um, don't pin it down so much, and people will enjoy it. It's really nice. Yep. So, oddly enough, um, all of um, the handful of released pictures for the smart, for the cell phone version... I had actual, like, 
um, equivalents equivalents from the original game available, and so it's like you can just see them right next to each other. I like how the uh, character names are all in English. <laughs> yeah, which is weird because they didn't do that for the other one, but yeah, very strange. But nice. No, this. Oh yeah. man. Like, Blue Sphere is one of those things that, like, I found out about, like, ten years ago and have dreamed of a way to play in English ever since. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I also liked how they did the a lot of the crafting stuff in this game. Because it's all mini-games. Oh, that's neat. Like, most of them, like... The there, ones that have mini-games in the main series are very strange. Yep. So now, I never three. figured out how to cook properly in Blue Sphere, but I never needed to, either. Yeah. Like, cooking has always been, like, certainly, it's probably the least useful, uh, like, crafting skill in any of the Star Ocean games, because it's just, like, the only thing it can ever give you is a good healing item. Yeah. Oh, that reminds me that, uh, one last thing to say about Breath of the Wild, its cooking system's actually really good. It is. By being very simple. And there's tons of different dishes you can come up with. Yeah, there's like really super specific dishes, and there's dishes that are just like, use anything from this really broad type. Meat. <laughs> that actually sounds like some of the Atelier games. Uh, I really need to play more Atelier. You should. Yeah. Or uh, play Adventure Bar Story as well, because that one's like... Oh, Atelier. I've heard nothing but good things about that. Oh, it's a cute little game. Yes. It, it is, yeah, it is one of the lost Atelier games. That and <laughs> that and door and the time, and the time workshop. So. Oh, I think I heard about that one once. Yeah, I I reviewed that one too. That was the that was the game. It was a collaboration between Atlas's uh, studio that does Etrian Odyssey and oh, wow. Gus. Hmm. Interesting. So, that could produce a really is, interesting game. It is essentially an Atelier game with a different um, mechanic behind it. What game was that again? Nora and the Time uh, Workshop, I guess. Um, uh, did Nora, that... Nora did that ever come out in English? Sound like nope, because it. it came out near the very end of the DS era. Uh, yeah, well, no, I remember like, that We one. can't bother localizing this because piracy. Speaking of, I just realized I'm concerned that Etrian Odyssey 5 is about to fall into that hole. Yeah. Not for piracy's sake, but just because the 3DS is winding down in the West. Yeah. I sure hope not. I mean, yeah, it's just, it's been out for like so six months in Japan, we haven't heard word. There's so many other good games that you could wish that they would actually pay attention to, I mean, I mean aside yeah. from the obligatory mention of Metal Max 4, um, yeah. but also things like Beyond the Labyrinth. Yeah. And that was like near launch, and we still don't have it. Yeah. I mean, you have to wonder what what Konami was thinking about. I mean, at the time, there were almost no RPGs available in the West for that system, and they never bothered. All I can think of for what Konami was thinking was, this isn't a health club. <laughs> I hate you, Konami. But then, but then why did they hire Triace to make the most... <laughs> Weirdly complicated, simplist or simplistically complicated dungeon crawler ever to exist. Uh, they hired Triace to make a dungeon crawler, and Triace Triace all over that request. 
The thing is, usually when you try ace, try ace is something, it becomes needlessly overly complex. And yeah. in this case, it went the complete opposite. I mean, it is... I got... a, it, it's like the most minimalistic system you could imagine, and the story has only one character. Or technically has four, four player characters and one other character who accompanies you through the entire thing, and that's it. And it's an incredible story, and it's an incredible game, and it's just, it's crazy. I it's like a little more every time you describe Beyond the Labyrinth. <laughs> I mean, seriously, it's like, you make, them, you make a very minimalistic dungeon crawler, you add almost PlayStation 3 level graphics with motion capture for the one character who is who effectively turns it into the dungeon crawling equivalent of Ico. Oh, man. Oh, that hurts to not have. Yeah. I mean, and just, I mean, again, look up some of the videos on the internet, but it's like, it has to be something like, okay, we've got this much budget for characters and voice acting. Okay, well, we could have a lot of characters and some very minimalistic voice acting, or we could have just one speaking role, or technically two, but only one for most of the game, and have a lot of fun with that. <clears throat> and they did. I mean, I mean, seriously, in the final credits, it says motion capture studio stuff. So you're watching this girl on your screen talking to you, completely one-sided conversation because she can't see your text box. Um, and and it's just like they hired a very good actress to do this because I'm mean, talking about body language. It's incredible. Yeah, it's it's good that they did that because it sounds like the kind the game kind of rests on that being good. So like understanding yeah. that understanding that and building and like budgeting properly for it is good. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, like the battle system is basically rock paper scissors with colors. Oh man. But they do things like if you hit an enemy with or if anybody gets hit critical hit with. Um, an opposing color, the damage that it does gets totaled up into a point thing on top of the screen, and the next person or enemy to use that color gets all of it back in health. <laughs> so you have to get really, really strategic with what you hit when. <laughs> and then you get a shielding ability that lets you effectively opt out of the turn order for short periods of time. Oh, wow. And then, you, um, well, unless you're using them way too much, by the time you get to the final boss, you've got a small stock, or we got a pretty good stock of items that can change color and change multiplying factor for the girl's um, power stocking ability. Mm. And so it's like when, you got, when I got to the final boss, I'm like, okay, I've got like 30, 40 of this, 50 of this. I'm going to use them all up. Uh, Just completely so destroy I, it. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was it was, I, and it was still difficult to beat the boss. But I was abusing the heck out of every, um, every force multiplier I could manage in that final battle, and it was still an interesting fight. Oh man! And that game's never gonna get remade. It's never gonna get ported. There will never be another chance at it. Nope. gonna go over and cry. I don't think I'm gonna be good at podcasting while I'm crying. 
Just to, just give us Etrian Odyssey five, please. There's, there's like so many things that instead of wasting our time just, with Aqua Plus games, like I feel like one day I will I will be like the super fighter team for this era of games, just mate like going out and let's be boutique translate something that can never make money. <laughs> Metal Max Four. Like I will go, I will, I will live my life on nothing. If it, if I can get a team together that does nothing but this. Yeah. Heck, just translate all of the handheld Metal Max games. Yes, please. Yes. I mean, I mean, just, I mean, okay, start low, start with, like, like start returns. with uh, Metal Saga DS. Just because, hey, that's the one that you should have gotten instead of the PS2 version. Oh, uh, that's the uh, Season of Steel. Yep. That's the one, um, okay, so, like, the things that PlayStation 2 version does well is, like, tank variety and some interesting bosses. Things that the DS version does well is strong story and, um, things like the, um, like, um, unlimited storage space in your inventory and the ability for any one character to equip multiple weapons. Ah... Uh... So if you the put them together, of... they'd be a really good game. <laughs> um, you know what? Um, at the end of my Metal Saga review, I actually said, you know, if you took everything that this game got right and everything that the DS game got right, you could get, have an awesome game. And that game was Metal Max 3. <laughs> uh... Because all of the exploration stuff and um, from Metal Saga and multiple tanks and just big, wide, open exp- um, world... Excellent. Yeah. So, uh, Metal Saga DS, very on rails at times. Um, very little exploration available, unfortunately, but mm. much improved combat mm. and a skill system that did not rely on you spending money to use passive abilities, <sighs> which I still can't believe Metal Saga did that. It's, it's tragic, like, the series that, like, never even, like, were completely stillborn in terms of attempting to localize any part of them into English. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's, like, yeah, Metal Saga, Metal Max 3, Metal Max 2 Reloaded, Metal Max 4, let's just get them over here. Yeah. Metal Max Studio, do it. Some yeah. crazy venture capitalist, take that money you were going to throw at, like, I don't know, at a toaster that's also a doorstop and put it into Metal Max. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about like DLC stuff and how a lot of the big name games still have DLC that's entire, like, secondary scenarios. Mm -hmm. And Metal Max 4, I remember having a teleporter malfunction, which is normal in the series. That's how you usually find a location that has the the life-restoring item. Mm-hmm. And so I figured, okay, I was just going to end up there. And instead I ended up in the in the strange building that turned out to be the base of a um, uh, oh, what's oh, a transfer station to a space station up in L5 orbit. <laughs> so I ended up I ended up traveling to L, an L5 station that still had inhabitants 
still had a working biosphere dome to grow food, except that the inhabitants were being threatened by astro zombies. Sold. Zombies still in their astronaut suits. <laughs> Not just that, but um, that was that was, um, that was one thing. They were also being threatened by giant space bees. There was an entire scenario where you had to help them exterminate these things. But before that, there was the the um, the uh, mutant carrots. Oh man! Because they grow they grew mutant space carrots as a food source, except the mutant space carrots had gotten way too big and were trying to eat them. And so I had to help them defeat the mutant space carrot mother queen, uh, queen mother. That's... I... I don't have words. Why? And the first time I fought her, I... Um, I didn't, didn't read the item descriptions very well, and I just saw something something plants on this one battle item, so I figured, okay, why not throw it at her? It turns out it's Super Miracle Grow Fertilizer. <laughs> and Oops. she grew even bigger. <laughs> it seemed like such a good idea before I read what it was. <laughs> yes, but yes, um, because of the way this game does polygonal sprites, yeah. you can, you can um, have multiple versions of the same monster at different sizes. Uh, or really have good. items that will increase a monster size by a factor of 10. Oh. And even better, one of the secret lockbox items that um, has like special codes that you can get through the magazines and stuff. You can find them all online now. Yeah. But one of the boxes, secret boxes in the game includes 30 magic mushrooms, which I, believe, I know I've mentioned on the podcast before. <laughs> but oh, yeah, I think I meant for that. These are not psychedelic magic mushrooms. These are Super Mario magic mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> you use one on a character and he turns giant. <laughs> Finally, the Mega Mushroom. And just the fact that that's in there is... It's insane. Um... <laughs> yeah. So yes, anybody who's listening, check out the screenshot section of Metal Max 4 on RP Gamer to see all of the screen, random screenshots I took while playing that game for the first time. All 200 and something of them. Oh, wow. It's a beautiful, joyful game. Yes, um, I, I put them all up right after we got the back end fixed, um, after it was broken for a little bit, and Mac and I were emailing back and forth over this until I finally got it to work, and then I sent him the link, and he was like, oh yeah, that looks in, holy crap, that's a lot of screenshots. <laughs> <laughs> His exact word. Yeah. <sighs> yes. So, fun, fun, fun. All right. <laughs> well, what was even our last question? I don't know. I don't, I don't think we ever I even got. Challenge for you, Wheels. What's that? I did have a challenge for you. Oh, bring it on. Well, considering that our many years ago discussion of what would happen if we crossed Monster Hunter with Legend of Zelda seems to have at least in part come true. To some extent, yes. To some extent. Um, so, okay, this discussion would be saving for another time, if we can do it this another time. If you, um, if you could take one game that was considered a, compl a failure 
and redo it to make it better, what, which game would you choose mm. and what would you do? I already know what game I would pick. I don't know what I would do, but I know what game I would pick. Okay, you know what? Let's do this right now. Which game would you do? Unlimited Saga. Hmm. I can understand the I don't know what you would do with that, but yes. <laughs> I mean, I know some things right off the bat, like make the controls not stupid, but other things, yeah, would take a lot more thought. It would be actual, a very ground-up remake. Actual free-roaming areas? Yeah. The entire Even thing doesn't need to be an Ursat board game you're playing by yourself. I mean, nah, even, even for a series that is known for its extreme makeover remakes, this would be an extreme makeover. Oh yes, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, the first game I first game that came to mind for me was actually Tales of the Tempest. Ah, oh, that's interesting. I mean, I mean, the very first thing you could do was give it, um, like, change the battle system to something that came later on a handheld, and it would automatically be fifty percent better. Yep. It's weird, yeah. like, it, it's, it's it's kind of telling of what kind of things get remade, that, like, they they dicked with the two Tales of games on DS that were already good, and, like, left behind the one that was garbage and needed to be rethought. <laughs> yeah, but I think also because my second I'd, second point for, redo, um, for improving or redeeming Tales of the Tempest would be to double its length. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. a really short game. <laughs> yeah, because um, um, I think Wheels, Wheels, when I was first playing it, you sent me a link to like a Q&A thing from this group of guys who had tried to translate it. Oh, yes, yes. And one of them went into great detail about how stupid the main character was and how he was a brat and he never grew up. And I, when I finished the game, I just did a quick count and I realized even counting in unnecessary stops to the end to heal up, the game, the amount of time in the game could not have been more than 30 days in-game. Oh, wow. And that is not enough time to really, for a character to naturally develop. But the game ends with the main character and his maybe girlfriend getting on a boat to travel to another land. Hooray! <laughs> now, the game itself specifies that at least one other country that we don't visit is having problems with the same monsters that we're dealing with here. Hmm. And I wonder I'm thinking, if they thought they'd get a sequel. I'm not thinking sequel. I'm thinking like um, the middle of Grandia, where Justin and Fina just get on a boat and go somewhere. Yeah. And how use that as a like a intermission point between two halves of the same game. Sort of like uh, make essentially like the F section of Grace's F. Yeah. And. Um, I would even like change up the final battle of the original final battle of Tales of the Tempest to make it less conclusive and then carry it over to another continent. Hmm. Um, which I mean that's why I'm meaning by double the length of the game because yeah. half the, half of the problems with the story is that the game doesn't have enough space to actually do a lot with the story do as much as it could with the story. This really does bring up just, like, how much... Like, the things that are most likely to get remade are the things that were already good as they were. Yay, power of nostalgia! Yeah, basically. But then again, so um, Final Fantasy Legend 3 also got remade. 
Yeah, well, Saga, like, Kawazu is so committed to his baby that he will do things like that. Yes. And not only make it a much better game with ten times more story, but give us a Time Lord as a secret final boss. (laughs) Freaking nerd. I'm Uh, serious. I mean, this character shows up randomly throughout the game being very mysterious about it, but... As it turns out, he is actually a Time Lord, and you beating the final boss is part of his endgame strategy. <laughs> because apparently he he's the guy who made the time machine to begin with, even if he doesn't need it now. And um, he was trying to stop the evil god thing from the other dimension. And um, But part of the god thing managed to calve off and turn itself into a distinct entity named Soul, and Soul stole his time machine and left. <laughs> and so oh. the, the original timeline that, that shows at the very beginning of the game where everything has gone to crap and everything's about to be destroyed was his first attempt to break um, to try and break the power here and he yeah. killed Soul. And that went bad. And so and then Everything else that happens in this game, you end up, um, as it turns out, being some way of either him attempting to get rid of the evil god or preventing people from getting rid of the evil god too fast. Listen, we have to do this on my timetable. Yeah. Oh, no, because the it, um, killing just soul like he tried to do just turns out bad. Yeah. Killing the evil god without soul... Re, um, that soul reattached is not possible. Or at least not good for him. And so he is, um, I mean, he ends up killing the main character's dad, um, spoilers, uh, in order to keep a previous expedition from defeating the evil god too quickly. Because he knows that, or he has figured out that we need to wait until the two parts are put back together and then beat that. <laughs> yes. Uh, Except that the heroes figure it out and they confront him about it in the secret ending if you play New Game Plus. And then you get to fight a Time Lord. Uh, I freaking love, like... And his... And two other for- versions of the Time Lord imported from the past and future. That's awesome. At the that's, that's the other thing that makes those... Like, with himself. That's amazing. Yes. That's the other thing that makes those saga remakes so good in like a way that a lot of like a lot of times because you're working from a template that you know is successful, there's like this like, okay, well I can't really change this too much because I don't want to lose what was good about it. And Are like those really there were interviews with the developers at the beginning when Saga three was announced and they said flat out, We're trying to figure out how much we can get away with changing. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm I'm saying like I mean more in the general sense of like yeah. the saga remakes as a whole, but yeah. And where like saga remakes are generally much more like, yeah, we like that old game was good, but we already made that game. We should make something that is similar, but like has changes because it's different. It's new now. <laughs> but it's more like it's more like we're upgrading it to fit in stuff that we start that we tried out and we liked with later games. But also, we really want to include all of this other content that we weren't able to fit in the original game because we couldn't get permission to use an expanded cartridge. Yeah, like the the 
Saga games have never been lacking for ambition, and that's one of their many charming things. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, but and but some of the things that they just randomly decided to do, like the expanded version of Saga, who's final boss. Reels, yeah. did you ever fight that guy? No. Because uh, I remember you actually muted your sound during the the backtrack on this game. I did. <laughs> Would you like to hear about it now? Sure. It's okay, probably going to be so a while before I get back to it, so I will probably forget so, by then anyway. Yeah, the final boss of Final Fantasy Legend was the Arsenal, or Final Defense Weapons Platform. Remember? Yep. And you remember there were two of them? I do. And the go um, the goddess who is your guest party member goes off by herself to defeat one of them, and you have to take on the other one, and that's the final boss. In, in, the, in the Game Boy game. Right. In the DS game, after you do a certain amount of damage to the battle pla to the arsenal, your um the one that you're fighting, the one that you're fighting and the one that the goddess is fighting switch places. Oh. And they will do this multiple times if you don't hit it with enough hit group attacks. And then, so, but um before this happens, the arsenal goes through a mecha transformation and takes on a humanoid form, ro battle robot form, to attack you. And then you start swapping between the two battle platforms, Alpha and Beta. And then once you've done enough damage here and you um, the two battle platforms merge, turning into something that looks a bit more like Super Robot Wars, <laughs> and then it uses a track then it uses a tractor beam to capture the current into its chest and use her as a as a power source. So, so I want you to say that the second you started describing this, all I could think was, oh, please let them combine. Oh, please let them combine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> I'm so happy. Yes. Uh... And it's an awesome battle, and it's, it's a charge-up battle that the boss is has, gives you a couple rounds before it unleashes its um, final attack. You have to hit it ridiculously hard in order to break its concentration so it doesn't kill you. <laughs> and so um, this is where we get to the fun part with the combo system in this game where if you start comboing um, you've got these item, this basic item that you can use to um, get your characters to combo back and forth based on emotional connections somehow. Um, but different weapons will unlock other attacks the more you combo. So the regular attack is just like hit it with the sword. If you combo, you might start get seeing abilities from later rem uh, later saga games show up. And so as it turns out, the the combo power for the glass sword is something called final strike. And it does a heck of a lot of damage. Nice. Yes. I'm glad I saved that particular weapon for the final boss that time. <laughs> Since it's a one-use item. So. Yeah, you, would, you wouldn't suspect that a glass sword would survive too long. Yeah. Oh, no, it was a one-use item in the original game, too. It was, mm. like, super powerful um, attack power, but one hit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, fi the final boss for Saga 3 was just as insane. So. 
I, think I gotta just like buckle down and emulate these because I'm never gonna be able to play them in English otherwise. Yep, yep. So, okay, in, in Saga 3, the evil god was at his actual body was the ocean of the world that he was in. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, this is, this, is, this is mentioned in the original game. And when he, re when he fused with Soul um, at the end for the final boss battle, he changes into this weird Cthulhu, -oy, I mean, this Lovecraftian bundle of worms and stuff. <laughs> Which I, I should mention that, as it turns out, every single location in that game is actually a Lovecraft reference by name. Oh. I did not realize this in the English translation originally because it was, I guess the translators missed it as well, but it's, yeah, all the locations have Lovecraftian references. It's strange. Um, but when you beat the thing that was the final boss of the original version, it decides to start calling the rest of its body to itself. <laughs> so the final, final part of this battle is several thousand feet up in the air and you're fighting a giant sphere of seawater. <laughs> like, an, like, the, like the nucleus of an amoeba or something. And it's hitting you with pseudopods and throwing magic at you and it's insane. Oh, man. I wish that Saga had developed even a mild cult following in the US. <laughs> that we might have even had a hope of getting these. Mm -hmm. so, anyway, it's been two and a half hours. Really. <laughs> that's, that's similar to the things that we do. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, I, rem I remember you guys last week. You kind of blamed me for setting these, setting these <laughs> episode. And I, I was thinking the last time I was on, I remember trying to get you guys back on topic several times. Yeah, no, we're idiots. We will do that. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I recall Wheels, like, proclaiming that, and it's like, well, we kind of did that regardless of whether he was here afterwards, so we don't really get to make too much complaint about someone else causing us to go over too long. There was a, a brief, mystical, legendary time where we ha had consistent episodes under an hour. Uh, it's it consistent. Like, two episodes. Yeah, it was like two episodes. <laughs> Did now, not, now, normally did not that last would be life. that would be considered a rounding outlier. <laughs> <sighs> All right, do we want to wrap it up? Do we want to try and fit in one more question? What's the consensus here? Did we have any other questions? I think we had one more. I feel like we never address unless you did it while I was gone. We never addressed the fact that, like, I thought someone had asked about breakable weapons. Oh yeah, we'll just save that for when uh, Mike isn't around, so he doesn't have to listen to us blab for like an That's hour about the. Uh, oh, because yeah, I played plenty of games with breakable weapons, and I can make good and bad comments. It's very different in Zelda, just because they never give you the chance to be like, "Oh, I'm attached to this weapon because I repaired it." It's like, no, it's gonna break. You can't stop it from breaking. <laughs> yeah. And the nice thing is, absolutely every single enemy, if they have a weapon, they drop it. You can pick it up. So you yeah. you never have a shortage. I, the way I've heard it described is, treat weapons like ammo. Yeah, pretty much. Okay, well, sa saving this for later. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, we'll save that for another one because it's probably going to involve going into a deep dive of Breath of the Wild's mechanics. So yeah, we'll yeah. save that. For that'll, that'll be we'll be able to talk more intelligently on it anyway. Plus yeah. four or five other video game series that have absolutely no relation to Zelda because I know those and their breakable systems better. Yeah. So. Uh, the only other question here, well, uh, I have another one from Phil, but we'll save that for another time as well because it's. Uh, I have to remember what the heck it was. Uh, there's one last one from Rudai, which is just, do you feel that being able to save anywhere cheapens the need to resource manage, particularly in titles that used it as a tactic, like Dragon Quest series, or is the modern mechanic worth it? I don't have time to schedule my time around a video game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go back to Saga 2 here, yep. because talking about a Game Boy game that was one of the first... Was it one of the first RPGs to feature a save anywhere function? Yeah, I believe it was. And that did not make it any easier. Nope. Nope. And, and but, it... um, but it's also a very good example of how to manage handholding in a game. Yes. As I, I can go, my brain goes from save anywhere function to the fact that if you die, you get to meet Odin, and he asks you if you want to try the battle again. <laughs> And so you can't, you can't act. Or as long as you want to keep trying, you don't actually have to get a game over in that game. Up until the point where Val Odin in Valhalla Castle is get in your way of progressing, and you have to kill him. And then for the last eight bosses of the game, you have to face them with no do-overs. <laughs> the thing about it is that there's only so much point in designing around players who are going to degenerately play the game in a way that's not fun by safe scumming everything, and it's like it's not really worth your time to try to stop that. Yeah. If it means inconveniencing every other player. And if you really need to, you can implement like a temp save system where when you load the save, it deletes the save. There's plenty of games yeah. that do that. So. I, I know a couple with temp saving that don't actually delete the quick save. Yeah, there's some of those as well. Legend of Legacy! Yep. But I think somebody commented on um, on the forums commented about Dragon Quest updating its save system. And that's never going to happen because that's Hori's personal philosophy of gambling there. Yeah. It's yeah. like you risk it all and if you lose you get sent back to your save point with half your cash. Just like a real casino. Because the guy is an inveterate gambler. <laughs> yeah. And that's not even an expression. He loves gambling. That's why there's casinos in so many of those games. <laughs> but he's also evidently an optimistic gambler. He can yeah. always go back. Yep. But yeah, that's why Dragon Quest will never fully abandon its save system. Because he is still at the controls. And that is part of his personal design philosophy. And Yuji Hori, one of the original industry auteurs himself. To the point where to the point where Armor Project actually owns the rights to the series instead of Square Enix. Yeah, I don't like I don't know what they're going to do when he retires. Or dies. Um, whichever comes first. <laughs> well, I mean they've managed at least one major animated series and three or four major manga series with Dragon Quest that are not actually related to the series. Yeah, true enough. Uh, it, it's possible to make a story that fits the mold quite well. Yeah. Without his without his, um, without his writing touch. 
So basically what they do is when they realize that he doesn't have much time left, they get him to agree to something. And Yeah. I would imagine that he won't be particularly, uh, particularly hostile to the idea. No. But yeah, it's but... more, more one of those things that it's just like, it's interesting to think about as a sense of like, it, it, you know, like his design philosophy is part of what keeps the series so like... Grounded? Yeah, grounded and sort of stuck in, like, set in its ways, but in a good way. And it'll yep. be, like, difficult to replicate that particular style. So, oh. So, did you ever play Dragon Warrior Begin a New Quest? I don't think I have. No. That, that is the fan-made Dragon Warrior game by Matt Demers, Wonderslime, former Q&A host. <laughs> you should try it. It is very good. Yes, it is very good. I cannot even discuss some of my favorite parts of that game because they're massive spoilers, and I would really like you to have your brain blown in the third act on your own. I am checking it now for downloads now. Yep. It is. It was very well done. Um, um, I, I had to do a deep look instead of a review on it because of partly because of site rules involving... Um, completely free fan-made games of somebody else's property and also because I figured you know if I have to put in a full disclosure paragraph as a second paragraph of the review I probably should not be doing this as a review fair enough okay I'm downloading it right now yeah oh send me the link it's not that hard to find. I googled Dragon Warrior begin a new quest. But yeah, but I'm lazy. And how would... lazy are you that you don't know how to use Google? <laughs> I know how to use Google, but if you give me a link, I can just click on it, and I don't have to type anything. That lazy, in fact. <laughs> yeah. Can't scan this file for viruses. Download it. But yeah, if you ever felt yourself jonesing for some 8-bit Dragon Quest action, this game. Massively, this game. Nice. Nice. Yep. Thanks for the heads up. I hadn't heard of it. Yep. He even manages to put in... Um, it's like, do you guys remember the SOCK SOCK game? It's a game that Matt used to run out of the Q&A column. And he made up like weird monsters as summons for the game at times. Hmm. And some of those appear in this game. Huh. Yeah. <clears throat> and um, things like he may just put math-related puzzles in several dungeons. Just because he is actually an associate professor of math. <laughs> so. Nerd. Massively and proud of it. <laughs> As you should be. So, you say that with pride. Yes. Hmm. Yep. <sighs> okay. Well, we're pre pretty much out of yeah. the. Yeah. We should. We should probably stop ourselves. Yeah. And talk about. Yeah. Uh, so, you can send us questions on the forums. That's where most people post them. Twitter. I'm. S Wheels, Dave is Fanboy Master. Um, Mr. Baker 
has smartly avoided this, this social media platform. Yep. Uh, were uh, I a smart man, I'd follow you, but I'm not. <laughs> uh, I've posted a few uh, impressions from PAX East. Uh, I probably have a few more to get up. Um, and the second part of my Atelier series should be up by the end of the month after I start playing uh, the new one and go back to uh, Mana Chimia? Chimia? Mana something? On the PSP. I would say Manakamia, but yeah. It's probably Manakamia. Manakamia. On the PSP, i.e. the terrible port. And, yeah. And I need to get back to Atelier Sophie sometime soon. I played a bit before we started this. Yeah, it's a fun game. Uh, I've really been having fun with it. It's nice and relaxed without, like, the strict time limits. It it really does remind me of some of the PlayStation Two element um, sections of the series or games of the series. Interesting. Specifically, the ones that never came to America. Yeah. But part of that may just be the enemy models, because the last time I saw the Puni Puni and the the ghosts with the tongue sticking out and the little hat on, those were like in a Atelier Judy and Lily and Violet. <laughs> And I still remember looking at, like, a PlayStation magazine from the year 2000, and it's like, here's an Atelier game. We haven't gotten any of the previous ones. Maybe we'll get this one. We did not get that one. <laughs> yeah. No, we didn't get any until they made the series more gener generic, briefly. Luckily, they kept localizing them after they went back to being more uh, itemy. Yeah, and it's been, yeah. it's been great. We haven't missed any... Well, you missed Lena. Oh, I forgot about Lena. Which one was that? That was the sequel to Annie. Yeah. Uh, the DS one that was super buggy? No, the Lease was the one that was super buggy. Oh, okay. okay. The third one was pretty good. Ah. Uh, That's a shame. We also missed... There's another of those late DS RPGs. We also missed the weird Rorona port for 3DS. How did that I'm even happen? I'm going to get that one these days, but it's still pretty expensive. That one's super weird, because it's like... Oh... We they had gotten to like they were nearly done with like the Dusk series by that point and then suddenly 3DS Verona happens. Like I was wondering why don't you just make a new game for 3DS? Yeah, like you, you could do that. Like it's popular. It's, I'm sure you could sell that to someone. <laughs> I mean, you did you did three original games for DS, four if you count um, Nora, and you did. Or, okay, Ban Presto technically did the Game Boy Advance one, which is why it's not considered canon, unfortunately. But it's still an excellent game. I'm curious, like, what they did to that version. Um, the, it includes a side, um, side thing where you can actually play as Astrid. Huh. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, like, there's basically no English information on that version, so it's very, like, mysterious. <laughs> I I think I published most of the English information on that game. <laughs> Probably. That's, that would tally with my expectations. <laughs> and let me tell you, it, it, it's kind of cool knowing that you are the, like, the, the only source information on some of these games. That's, that's one of the reasons I keep playing them. It's like, if I don't play them, nobody will know what they were like. 
No, yeah. I super appreciate that. Like, it's one of those things where, like, you'll find out, like, the title of some weird Japanese thing, and it'll be like, oh, maybe you knew the developer or something, and it's like, what is this? There's no English information on this. No one who speaks English has ever said anything about it. What is this? And so having even that one resource that's like, yes, here's a bit about what it is like, it's like, oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, I mean, I remember Sorry, playing this... I remember playing this one Game Boy Color game called um, Monster Tactics. Yeah. And um, a little, it had been reported on a little bit back in like 98, and a couple of screenshots were around. But they only showed like the opening sections with no, bat, no combat at all. And so what? I had to go digging, and I finally found the original Nintendo of Japan website, uh, webpage for this game. And so now RP Gamer has the only combat screenshots of this game on the English internet. It's <laughs> <sighs> funny. That, that's another game I would love to remake sometime. So M Monster Tactics. Yes, aka Let's Play Hide and Seek with Demons in the Dark. <laughs> it, it is a. It is a. I mean, we're not. I mean, I know sometimes tactical and stri strategy can be used interchangeably for some RPG types. This one is a tactical game. It is a straight-up tactical game. Every round, you choose one character to move around. There are There's lines of sight. There are ways to hide. It's basically hide-and-seek. Hmm. The title itself, Kakarimbo Battle Monster Tactics, is hide-and-seek. Ah, oh, man. That's... Keep doing God's work, because that's the only way any of us is ever going to hear about half these things. Yeah. Yep. Uh, but also, Wheels sounds like he is about to die, because it's like 2 a.m. for him, so... <laughs> <sighs> yep. We'll wrap it up. Once again, he's at Ask Wheels, I'm at Fanboy Master. We've... Thanks for listening, and thanks, as always, for being here, Gaijin, because you always... Uh, you always bring information that neither of us can ever pontificate about. <laughs> yeah. Well, when next if I whenever I can make it on next time, just feel free to bring your own questions about any random game that you've heard of and you have no idea what it is. Sweet, I'm going to hold you to that. <laughs> and I might even know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, it'll be a homework assignment. All right. Bye. Bye, Bye. Bye.